shit. They back. It is time. <laughs> the marvelous demystifiers assemble. Guys, I'm so excited to be doing this together again. Y'all are some of my best friends. And <laughs> these shows are, you know, I'll just say this is not a complaint either. But it's funny that I find myself preparing more for these shows than like <laughs> my other shows <laughs> because you start digging in, taking screenshots, watching closely, watching carefully. And maybe more than any other Marvel thing I've ever seen, the amount of like background mise-en-scene symbolism hiding in the details is just crazy. So I took more screenshots for this episode than any of our streams yet. <laughs> so I'll try to blow through some of them quickly that are just like, Hey, okay, we're advancing the plot. But when I realized, you know, I picked up the slick dissident tip of turning on the subtitles and uh, that's going to make this a little cooler. Cause we'll be able to see the words on screen matching the action, but I'm going to forego like sort of the recap of what came before. We'll just say that our, Hero slash heroes, the hero twins, they have found themselves shot and waking up in a asylum. And the last thing that we saw in the previous episode was a big hippo lady. So we'll jump into the gravy in a second, but welcome, Gabriel. Welcome, Gordy. How you guys been? Howdy, gentlemen. <clears throat> Had a lot of fun last night on the Weaving Spiders. Oddly enough, I was there and you two weren't. <laughs> <laughs> weird but i was weird. stuff i was lurking in and out i, I was I, I peeked in here and there it was a good show yeah dave brings a lot of good energy and uh i just love his setup dave weiss did some earth shape conversation for us and he just has the coolest like green screen setup and he's got the videos of what he's talking about behind him it's so profesh as fast aspirations baby but guys, uh, anything we should say before we jump into the decode? Because we've got a lot of ground to cover. I'll say hey to everybody in the chat. I love you all. There's some really good names in here. You know who you are. Uh, as Stacy says, smash that like button. Helps the algos. Also would be great to share this episode with a friend. If you know somebody that saw this show and would like to hear our decode of it. Because there's a lot. As I was saying before we came on the air, this is the most Jewish episode of them all. <laughs> I don't mean that negatively. It's just, it really is. So uh, I'll let you guys take a rip, but I'm just going to say my my biggest themes in this episode are water, memory, trauma, the dark mother, and um, the whole chalice and blade metaphor of the potter and the mater, the pattern versus the matter. So there's a lot there, but what do you guys got? for uh, introduction. Gabe, you shoot first. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they're definitely bringing in the uh, maternal wounding, uh, you know, the relationship of the Ma. Strangely enough, just a quick observation right out the gates is uh, while we are dealing with that maternal relationship, uh, Layla is absent. This is the one episode she's not she she's not even there. Uh, they might I don't think they flash to her even. Nope. They say all. her name like one time, but that's a really good point because we're dealing with a very psychological series here, and so in this episode, the shift, the emphasis shifts from 
Mark slash Steven's animus, or I guess anima for him, the female soul inside the male, shifting from Layla to his mother. Yep, right out the gates. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I see is that uh, matriarchal. And uh, uh, we're in the underworld, so there is a rebirthing going on. Um, you know, do, do a quick observation. The the one episode that did focus on Layla, uh, I brought forward the um, High Priestess card, which is in Capricorn. Uh, in this time, we're in episode uh, season one, episode five, which brings forward. We'll mention the Devil card, which is also in Capricorn. And so this we, aired in Taurus. This is when it aired in Taurus and it had, the other episodes aired during Aries, which is interesting because now we're focusing on this mother wound. Yes. Yep. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think of it as like uh, the other layer of that Capricorn uh, aspect. OK, cool, because I, I was thinking I saw something different and um, my the themes that <clears throat> jumped out to me were truth and sacrifice. So this is going to be very interesting. Yes. Cool, man. I didn't read that, but I'm sure it's there. This is great. I love having this team. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump into the screen shares. And this is where we left off last episode. <laughs> Quite a charring image here. Uh, we have not been told who this is yet. <laughs> but you said high priestess Gabriel and there she is hi the one hi. I'm raised <laughs> Perfect. yep she's even got that uh, telltale blue even her fingernails are blue the scarab there's that scarab again yeah so we'll just talk about this this is Towerette or supposed to be and I have this later in my notes but I'll just point out that <laughs> like a lot in this show not an accurate depiction of this particular Therianthrope in that uh, Towerette, 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 it's a hard word to say. She is typically depicted with, yes, a hippopotamus head, but like paws of a lion and the tail of a crocodile. So I found that interesting that they just go straight to the full hippopotamus lady. And I have a lot to say about that, but let's jump in. This was technically like the previously on Moon Knight. So the very first scene we know is always like the most important, <laughs> or maybe not most important, but it tells you exactly what the rest is going to be about. Uh, so I realized it's kind of a dark screenshot. I did my best to brighten up the dark ones. I think it's at least visible. So what we have here, the very first shot is the dark cave. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> so to me, all right, because we're dealing with all this dark mother symbolism, dark goddess, it's the main theme of this show, the Eve L mother. Uh, <laughs> uh, to me, this is exactly a yoni. This is, uh, you know, the female mystery, the cave. And it's watery. <laughs> you know, it's this opening that's got that shape. I think it's very sort of. I wouldn't say sexualized, but it is obviously a metaphor for the female reproductive organ. And as we go forward, the theme uh, that I also see going on, of course, because it's the astrotheology and everything, 
that the female symbolism of this cave is also symbolic of the cave of Brahm, the tomb that the sun God goes into when, when uh, he dies to resurrect. So there's a big theme here of uh, the dying and resurrecting of the solar hero. You guys have any shots at this? You guys. Okay. So I'm going to kind of just like talk a lot and blow through screenshots because we have so many. Please just jump in. I'll try to call on you guys sometimes, but you know, don't be afraid to interrupt. If you want to say something about this, go for it. Well, one one quick observation is in our last uh, our last episode breakdown, you mentioned that when uh, Stephen fell into the uh, excavation site, that you were pretty sure you heard him cry out, "Mommy!" <laughs> when he fell. He did, yeah. Yes, and so yeah. there is a kind of a hailing back right here because we're definitely dealing with that Yoni mother thing. So uh, definitely a good solid stitch right there. The first thing that, you know, when you bring that that up, a lot of this, the whole series pretty much is in, it's it's very dark. So it's, and it's, there's a lot of running through tunnels and uh, caves and, hidden passages and stuff like this throughout the whole thing. And uh, which to me symbolizes the going within, like it's always the, like we were talking about in previous ones about the inner and the outer or the public and the private. And this is the, the self-reflection, the union cave like Star Wars kind of thing, but the whole episode is the Jungian cave. <laughs> the Yonian gin. Yeah. That's a good observation. Nice. And so let's go forward to this next shot just to establish all this water coming out of the cave. Now, if you remember way back in episode one, when I had a lot to say about the God Shu, right? Well, Shu had a twin sister consort. Now, there are a lot of fertility gods and goddesses in Egypt, and I think you can associate them with each other. But what's interesting is Shu's consort, Tefnut, was said to cause the inundation annually of Egypt, the desert, with by releasing water from her yoni. So to me, you know, we've seen... How Shu also has a lot of symbolism pertaining to placenta and birth and uh, Khonshu, the god that possesses Mark slash Stephen. <laughs> the hieroglyph also transliterates to the king's placenta. So there's that. So Tefnut, the goddess of moisture and fertility, and she was also regarded as a lunar warrior goddess. So I feel like since we're talking Moon Knight, talking Tefnut is probably pretty relevant and atom or atom raw created Tefnut and Shu either with a sneeze or with his spit or with (laughs) his uh, own self uh, harvested sexual fluids. (laughs) But I wanted to bring that up because this is a fertility goddess and we just saw over here, this is a fertility goddess. So there's a lot of fertility gods and goddesses, and there even will be more throughout this decode. But the very next thing we see after this flooding cave is this shot. This is all your fault. Okay. 
So I want to zero in on that word fault. This is a fault. This is a fault. A fault is a crack. A fault is symbolic also, in my opinion, of the opening of a mouth. The fault is also symbolic of the yoni because the Eve L female, the cause of the fall of man who bit the apple. I've said in other places that in uh, what's the <laughs> blanking on the other language. I think it's Welsh that affle, A-F-A-L, like a fall is the word for apple. So I'm not saying that the female is at fault for not having a phallus, but when you look at what the female has instead of a phallus, it's symbolically a fault. It's a crack. It's an opening. You know what I'm saying? So here's an open mouth with this dark ma. And then the very next shot, open mouth, (laughs) a fault, and open mouth. (laughs) So we're talking definitely about some opening of the mouth ritual. And I thought I'd share... Because we're talking about the opening of the mouth in this ritual, it comes from the Egyptian book of the dead. And there were many spells in the book of the dead. One in particular for the opening of the mouth, which is something they would do. They would open the mouth of the mummy. Uh, This spell was written on the coffin sometimes or kept nearby to for the dead to use on themselves. And I I find it a very interesting couple of lines here. The spell goes, my mouth is opened by Ptah, Ptah, the potter, the father, the pattern. My mouth's bonds are loosed by my city god. Thoth has come fully equipped with the spells. He looses the bonds of Seth from my mouth. Atom has given me my hands. They are placed as guardians. My mouth is given to me. My mouth is opened by Ptah. With that chisel of metal, That'd be the ads tool. Looks like a seven. Remember that for later. With which he opened the mouth of the gods. I am Sekhmet Wadjet, who dwells in the west of heaven. I am Sa'it, S-A-H-Y-T. That's like Sat, like the Saturn or the Satyr, or Sight. I am Sa'it, among the souls of On. Now, On is an Egyptian city, also known as Heliopolis. Alana is a name for the sun. So that's what I got. What do you guys got <laughs> on the open mouths here? The open mouth thing to me, I, because everything in the, in the um, asylum always screamed uh, dream state to me. So everything that I see in the asylum, I kind of interpret through that lens and in Dream psychology, like dream interpretation, open mouths often mean like um, uh, telling secrets or or letting go of the truth, like telling the truth. Brilliant. That's perfect for what's going on here. Exactly. So they're telling us secrets. Yeah. And another thing about the opening of the mouth ritual, it was so that the dead could consume food in the afterlife and also so they could speak. Well, that's also what he pulled out of the of what it was Alexander's mouth, right? Um, that he mm. pulled that, the secret out of out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah, the Amit statue, right? Yeah, and it is firmly established, like in the very next minute or two, that Mark slash Stephen is dead. So, you know, 
open mouth for the dead to me. <laughs> this is one of those times where they're kind of like getting some Egyptian symbolism. Interestingly accurate. There's places where they definitely don't. <laughs> uh, if you can flash back to the scene of his mom with the, with the, uh, her actual words, I got to point out, I mean, we've been, we always are coming across that circumcision aspect in the beginning of these films. Uh, and I just got to point out, we got an ISIS, T-H, ISIS. And then we have A-U in the word fault. And so ISIS was known to have given that goal. That goal Hello, Zero. <laughs> Z. Zero's getting excited. I'm going to set him free. But I just, I'll point that out, too. We always got the circumcision castration thing going on in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, particularly relevant when we talk in Egyptian because of the whole Osirian myth, which will for sure come up. Nice. Okay. So we're at the... There we go. So after, okay, so the next shot after they're all screaming is another open mouth, but now we have Mark in front of Dr. Harrow, who's now a psychologist, very young in. So I grabbed, oh, you know what? (laughs) Yeah, okay, this is good. Uh, Let's skip forward. I just grabbed a screenshot of this because it's interesting. (laughs) You know, he's got this Egyptian symbolism all over. This is the solar disk. I think here to remind us that we're talking astrotheology. We're talking the path of on or Helios throughout this whole story. This is the original hero's journey. The one story that exists in creation that is allegorized everywhere as everything. Uh, So he's, you know, Mark is the, the sun, the S U N any symbolic of the sun. And I think we're seeing uh, Mark and Steven representing the creator and destroyer aspects of the sun. That's why we're seeing them in white and black. Uh, This is (laughs) Mark is the destroyer. You know, he's the mercenary. He's the soldier. Steven is the more of the creator. He's creatively minded. He's, kind of more effeminate, you know? So interesting is that what Harrow says in this scene here is that he goes, your brain is like a pendulum rapidly vacillating between two very different realities. And he also mentions that they're at Putnam medical facility, Chicago, Illinois. I took note of that, but I never like looked, tried to <laughs> syncretize what Putnam might mean. Putnam. They're putting them away. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd have something. Nice one, Gabriel. So uh, then Harrow is like, you know, kind of making fun of Mark's story saying, you saw a giant, you think you saw a giant rhinoceros? And Mark is like, (laughs) it was a hippopotamus. It was a hippopotamus. And I feel like this is kind of interesting dialogue because right after that, Harrow says, or like uh, Mark says that it felt real or whatever. And then he also accuses Harrow of not being a real doctor because he's like, I know who you are. You're not a real doctor, something like that. And Harrow says, he feels like a real doctor, (laughs) 
which is, I think, how most doctors probably feel. They feel like they're a real doctor. But talking hippopotamus here, the, the doctors don't even take Hippocratic oaths anymore. That's and they right. do kind of right. rhino ram you into horny, punctury pokes like a ram's horn. I don't a rhino's horn. I don't know. Maybe that's a me just having fun. No, that totally was on my mind. The fact that there that uh he doesn't he's inaccurate in that uh, calling it a rhino when in fact it should have been a hippo, it almost is a Freudian slip to the fact that he didn't take a Hippocratic oath. If he was a doctor, he would have had the context to get that right. So there's very interesting that the uh, he mislabels the hippo as a rhino. In a, a quick, another quick note is that uh, there's a scar on uh, on Mark slash Stephen right here in the off the gates. We in this is kind it's of a retro. Nose. Yeah, that's on his rhino. <laughs> rhino means nose. But a, uh, another interesting uh, kind of retroactive. What what would you call foreshadowing in reverse? Post shadowing. Hmm. Uh, foreshad that would be like flashback. Yeah, there, there's a there's something interesting that we'll find out later in the film is that he is struck by his mother when he's young. And right now he just had the we just had the vision of the mom. Now we have a vision of him with this broken nose as though he's been struck. And I'm pretty sure uh, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I think this is Jake. I think uh, Jake takes the hits. I think Jake is the uh, the one who actually gets struck by mom. Later on, we'll see in that scene that Mark and Stephen leave the room and the child is being struck by mother. And I think that Jake is the is the one who takes the hits. So here in a second, he's going to have a kind of a Jake uh, personality flash forward. Yeah, that's true. And also kind of interesting if he's like dead now that the damaged nose, the Egyptian burial procedure would be to remove organs through the nose, which would probably do some damage to your schnoz. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Gabe, I think that's called a MacGuffin, what they oh, call okay. it in, in, uh, in movies. I thought a MacGuffin was an object. I that, could be wrong. I thought the MacGuffin was an object that like advances the plot, but no one really knows what it is or what it means or what it does. It's like the thing that everyone's fighting over or trying to get. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Film school. I learned Film that. Film school. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it paid off right there. Yeah, see, I remember. Time. See, you I knew it. I remember my vocab. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> so I have a few shots here that will go in a row because I just wanted to capture all of this dialogue from Harrow. He says, the struggling mind will often build places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self. And there you see that busted nose and that, that face he's making, that could be a Jake Lockley face, third personality face, because you know, you don't really see Mark or Steven making that expression very often in the show or at all. You know, that's like a real wild eyed, crazy face. <laughs> yeah. In, in this, in a moment, doesn't he, he picks up that uh, pyramid, that Oregon pyramid right there. Yes. And, and starts making a move with it. 
and I'm pretty sure this is a flash to Jake. Like his voice changes. He 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 is actually able to like penetrate the reality of the situation very insightfully. Uh, I think we're seeing Jake here because he says you're not really a doctor. When they uh, zoom in, you can zoom in on the the diploma on the wall, and it doesn't actually have a university. It's it's probably a fake diploma, and Jake is telling him you're not a real doctor. He's calling out the truth. He's very penetrating with his uh, his insight. But I just nice. Wanted- I didn't look that close at the diploma. That's a good call. Yes, and uh, when he picks up this pyramid and he gets kind of a violent surge. Um, I just want to point out that's that's kind of Jake's M.O. He's all about the dirty work. He's like capable of going there quickly. Um, but he triggers him. He's yep, he's triggered. So you can see. So this is the M.K. of it all. Um, you can see when he's the thing he asks him that sets him off. He goes, is that sense or nonsense? So this thing, this right here, is a is one of those separation uh, mimetic devices that they use in mind control to to like trigger somebody into like when they're they're focusing on one thing and they do. This is something he's already set up in in uh, Mark or Stephen or whoever Mark, essentially. But that's that's the point where he he sets him off. Is it sense or nonsense? And he he makes him break it. He, he goes, nonsense. And then that's when he loses his shit. Right. That's a good call, Gordy, especially because Harrow specifically calls his calls. Mark's mind says it's like a pendulum, just like a hypnotist would swing in front of somebody's face. He's calling forth that imagery. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just want to point out that. So I think this is Jake and he picks up the sharp glass. Well, later on, as the plot unfurls, you'll see that Mark and Stephen they're picking up a glass of water and they're dealing with that duality. Is the glass half empty? Is it half full? And Jake is going for the third option. He's like, fuck that. The glass is a fucking weapon. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, man. I have, uh, I definitely have some stuff to say about the, the glasses, the two versions of glass coming up. Uh, well, I'll save that for when we get there. So I was going to read this whole dialogue from Harrow. I'll go ahead and do that. And we can talk about that. He says, the mind will the struggling mind will often build places places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self from our most traumatic memories it's called just an organizing principle okay <laughs> so he's the organizing principle he's trying to organize his ward of the state to be his uh, mk ultra serial killer or something anyway he says some people they see a castle right? Somebody else will see a maze or a library or a psych ward is what Mark says here. So, okay. What I I wanted to point out that little stretch of dialogue because it's very fascinating how later in this episode, Mark and Steven are going through the different rooms of this psych ward, castle, labyrinth, maze, and discovering lost buried traumatic memories that's why i named the episode the memory palace (laughs) because this is very much like a memory palace and i find it interesting that this dynamic in the psyche to schism 
is very real. And uh, one particular fascinating book I read about it labeled these alternate selves that people create. And they don't have to be full on schizophrenic personalities that can like take the spotlight and control the body. But whenever there's something that happens that is so difficult that we want to push it down and never remember it, it fractures and creates an ego state in our psyche that lives in our psychic space. Literally, it has energy that's held in our biofield. And it's kind of like, and I would call it kind of like an astral entity, but I'm starting to see a distinguishment between the astral and the psyche or the psychic. <laughs> like maybe even wondering if the astral is like artificial. <laughs> is the astral realm the original metaverse? That's a whole different conversation, but I think maybe. Uh, so these ego states, like, for example, if you were like five years old and you love dogs and then one day a dog attacked you and you've push that memory down and forget about it. You might also push down and forget about qualities that you embodied during the time and age when that trauma happened. So maybe as the five-year-old, you love dogs, you love to play with dogs, and also you really like to draw. And that was like your main thing at that age. And after this dog attack, all of a sudden you forget about drawing or something like that. This is, a, this is an example of what ego states can do without being full on schismed uh like alter personalities that can take over but we want to in a lot of forms of what shamanism would call soul retrieval or even what happens with the tuning process or some people do this with psychedelics you'll come across these buried traumatic memories and when you remember them you also maybe not at the same time but soon might also remember some part of yourself that you forgot like for me, the example of liking to draw and create art is actually the one for me. <laughs> I took mushrooms one time and I remembered some traumatic stuff that happened to me when I was four. And then all of a sudden I remembered that I really liked to draw and make art and things. And before that, I'd like shoved down the whole creativity and forgot about it. So anyway, um, the trauma fractures is also, of course, the, you know, completely MK Ultra AF. Now, talking about these walls between parts of yourself <laughs> he goes harrow here says this hippo could break down walls between you and steven and i find that interesting too because the real ego state that they're trying to find is the young boy version of mark before any of this schisming took place and another sort of phonetic match to hippo could be harpocrates I know that doesn't sound exactly like hippopotamus, but this is what it makes me think of. Hippo, Harpocrates. And Harpocrates, the younger, is the child version of Horus. And so looking for this boy is also the key. The boy version of themselves is also the key to resurrect, come back to life. So that's part of my understanding of Mark and Stephen as two of the three aspects of the Trinity or of the sun through its phase, they're the creator destroyer. And then the boy would be the redeemer quality, you know, like the Holy child, Holy child, miracle child, that sort of thing. So he's the, this resurrecting son slash son boy is the, also the bridge between the, the winter sun and the summer sun. And symbolically in this show is the bridge that helps Stephen and Mark fully come to terms with their connection and understand 360 degrees of it.
Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I want to build out on that big time. Like, can you go back uh, just a, a couple, like one more? Okay. So this organizing principle, it immediately made me think of how the word covenant sounds so much like government and how uh, the government serves as a a collective uh, covering, a collective place that we all agree to live under. Um, a social contract, I think, is what they call it. An organizing principle? <laughs> An organizing principle, exactly. And also how the cast, well, circumcision is a covenant with the Lord. And so when we're talking about how trauma can create this imaginary reality that we all, uh, that we all are exposed to, uh, it very much uh, opens up a doorway to see the labyrinthian system, the, this social con, uh, contract that we're all subjected to, uh, what it is actually all about. You know, they act like these things are new, that these are cutting edge breakthroughs in psychology, and they have to rewrite the book on psychological disorders every year as though they're new. But this is how it's been run for hundreds and hundreds of years going back way longer than we ever knew. Uh, so I just wanted to put point that out, that, uh, you know, castration is a prim- primordial scar. It is a covenant, and it is also, uh, I believe, the foundation of the government that presumes to be the organizing principle. I just thought I would throw that on the table for sure. I, I got to throw out, too, Carrie made an awesome comment here. Hippo, hypo the cis. <laughs> this made me think, of how there's actually a lot of what I would call, I used to call it like pop culture Gnosticism. Now I'll call it like pseudo Gnosticism, uh, you know, dark controller shithead Gnosticism. <laughs> uh, anyway, we we're talking about a hippo. So get the hip. And then there's a lot of artificial Gnosis in, in this episode infused into it. And we have that pendulum sim- symbolism. You know, this is hypnosis. <laughs> nice. Hyponosis. Fucking awesome. Awesome. Uh, one more quick weave when he says, I think this hippo could be the key to breaking down a lot of uh, connection between you. And I just got to point out that the name of the hippo is Towerwet in the Twin Towers did break down a lot of people's psychological illusions uh, of the realm that we're in. And so it was the trauma, the trauma yes. that woke, woke a lot of people up. Yes. And, you and know, truth. going back, yeah, going back to the placenta being your twin and the twin towers being, you know, a metaphorical uh, dissolving of that split persona. Uh, there's definitely a twin tower reference in there with the hippo breaking down the, the barriers. Nice. Okay. Oops. Wrong way. All right. So (laughs) yeah, you're right. This is very sort of different than Mark or Steven. He kind of gets loony here. He picks up the glass dagger blade 
kind of feels also like you you're we're talking uh Osiris is missing phallus here because <laughs> he's got an artificial phallus. I say that because like it's not exactly lined up, but you know, we're seeing a shot of his crotch here <laughs> and he's got this pointy <laughs> dagger thing coming near his crotch. I think this is like a sort of Osirian uh, reference a little bit, but uh, I won't, if you want to say more about this, that's fine, but I want to save maybe more about this glass dagger till we get to the time where the other glass comes up because there's more symbolism in that scene that supports what I have to say about it. But if, you know, go, you guys shoot for it if you want. But speaking of stabbing, <laughs> the next thing that happens is after he threatens Harrow, the orderlies come in, the organizing principles come in and you get what you get for a descent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Great call on the, on the mm. phallus aspect. It's like the, the pin mightier than the sword and he goes for the sword. Uh, yeah. And there, I mean, there's even three layers of metaphor there. There's the penis, the pin and the sword. And I think we're talking nice. about Jake, who's the tertium quid, the third something. So it's very, very suiting. And then, yeah. And then they trump all of them and come in with the, uh, uh, with the orderlies you know, somebody else doing the dirty work. All that Harrow does is press the little button under the table. You know, he keeps his hands clean. He stays in equity. He's doing the old uh, touchless death technique by letting somebody else do the dirty work. The, another good point here from Ginny B is that this table paperweight triangle pyramid, you know, it's a callback to the episode where the detectives or police officers who work for Harrow show up and one of them picks up a pyramidical paperweight off of Steven's desk and is like, what is this for? And interesting because I think it is definitely a callback, Jenny, because the orderlies who show up to inject him and take him away are the exact same two characters, but now their role in the psych ward is as orderlies rather than <laughs> rather than uh, police officers. But it's interesting because, you know, they're making the correlation that the police officers are the wards of the psych ward <laughs> of our society, the open air psychiatric prison hospital that is that the United States has become number one in consumption of psychiatric medicines and pharmaceuticals in general. And probably probably the 40th worst in terms of health, <laughs> you know? So like that medicine's doing a lot of good for us. Hey, um, did you notice the uh, medicine bottles on the desk also? Yeah. I didn't grab a screenshot of that, but interesting too, how they tended to have like, they all had green lids. Right. I don't know what that was about, but it was there for sure. Um, the other th as soon as he does this though, <clears throat> like he acts like he's going after him and he's not. What he's going after is himself. He's he's actually trying to, it looks like he's trying to stab himself, kind of like in what we see later of his his rebirth scene or whatever. But it looks like he's he's trying to get at himself. Uh, again, to you know, the background and all this, reality is breaking down. You can see that it's like the design of the set is is set so that things are falling apart. Like it's, it's at the edges. Like it's, this isn't clearly not a real thing. This is the dream state. 
or it's, or at least it's in here somewhere. Yeah. I love that man. And uh, Andrea cozy crone made a great call here. Could this be a deck prism, which is a device used for refracting sunlight uh, on the sea, <laughs> on a boat, on a ship, which is what we're about to see a ship on a sort of sea. And <laughs> after he gets the jab, he snaps to over here. And he says, wow, these meds are really amazing. While he's next to a giant talking hippo. And what this made me think of is how, speaking of the pharmaceutical apocalypse, <laughs> farm apocalypse that people are currently experiencing and have been for a while, the next phase in all this, thank you, Toe Rogan, you big giant, well, t- actually tiny miniature toe <laughs> for popularizing it, uh, that as we speak right now, as we speak, the psychedelic revolution is being mainstreamed and artificially synthesized. Yeah, right now they might be giving people the real stuff, but it won't be long before your over-the-counter prescriptions are microdosing synthetic versions of things like psilocybin or, you know, there's already a lot of synthetics out there (laughs) that are being popularized that are psychedelic. So, you know, I'm not saying psychedelics are good or bad. They're a tool, but in all of human history, you kind of needed to like be a shaman or have them administered by a shaman. And in terms of shamanism, our modern medical professionals, especially psychiatrists, are for sure more witch than doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's like, wow, these meds are really amazing. Um, that's what that made me think of. Um, also in the mirror in the scene, you see the... They focus a lot on those those, those corner, corner mirrors. mirrors. Yeah. And those corner mirrors are set, are there. They're a safety thing so that you can see down both hallways. And they do that in, in hospitals and warehouses so you can see down other, other ways. So you can see essentially uh, 180 degrees at one time. Um, but you can't see, you see them in it, but you don't see the hippo. Yeah. Interesting. And and they use it later on to to do that that little flip thing where they focus in and it's backwards. Again, you know, kind of doing that flip flipping like the first episode again. Flipping the camera from upside down and stuff. Yeah. Right. I didn't grab a screenshot of that, but I did notice that. <laughs> I was so deep into screenshots already. Yeah. That's a good call. I mean, because obviously the mirrors are the Probably primary recurring theme of the entire show is the mirror. Could have called it mirror night. Totally. <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about this on our last weave. I didn't bring it in, but I've, I'll just throw it on the table. Deal with it as you will. But, you know, one of the uh, alleged proofs for a global earth, a round earth, is the three 90 degree turns bringing you back to where you started. And if it were flat, it would take four 90-degree turns. But on a sphere, it takes three 90-degree turns with 90 miles of distance in between all of them. But that probably never heard of that anymore because I think the Earth is growing. So whatever measurements they told us uh, two, 300 years ago about three 90-degree turns, 
it does not compute anymore because it's much larger than it was before. So I just point that out, that that is one eighth of a full globe. Uh, and it is a very important thing to consider the geometry of it. That's a one in eight is a moon, the moon card, one eight. Uh, just something to think about with that reflectiveness of it. Uh, and she has a disc on her head. So we are looking at uh, two two potential cosmologies. And she's standing under that crazy 24-spoked wheel up above. So there's all kinds of cosmological implications. With, with two towers above it. <laughs> the top of her crown is two towers. Right, right. Two towers. Great call. Two, two towerettes. Two little towers. <laughs> Man, so much information. It's, it's, it's wild. I thought this was a good comment from United Universities covering his right eye and the mirror in the corner looks like a snake eye. And in terms of which eye is <laughs> which eye is which, Stephen would be the left eye of the moon and Mark would be the right eye of the sun. <laughs> and Towerette says, is he always so intense? Well, being that Stephen, or I'm sorry, Mark represents the sun in summer and his name is Mark, which is like the uh, definitely the Leo of the 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. In terms of the Zodiac, Mark is Leo the lion. Marcus means the shining one. The sun is at its most intense, you know, ferociously hot during the Leo part of the sky clock. So I thought that is he always so intense? That definitely made me think of the Leo of it all. And we will get visual affirmation of that later on too, that Leo symbolism and Gabe, you shot me something. Just let me know when you want me to cue it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, uh, this is kind of the same scene as the camera kind of flips to the other direction. Uh, and I just uh, couldn't, I couldn't resist. I mentioned it earlier, but this is season one, episode five. We are in the underworld. They're going through a resurrection. Uh, so in the, uh, the devil card is in the sign of Capricorn, and that is the location where from December 22nd to the 25th, the sun goes lateral. It has no vertical progression north or south, has three days in the underworld. So that is very much played out in, episode, in season one, episode five, hailing to this 15th devil card. And you can see I put Towerette in the place of the devil. Because it's the kind of, you know, doing some, she's going to cast judgment. They're standing on two, uh, one on the left, one on the right, one black, one white. In this card, you get one male, one female. And, and from their perspective, Mark is actually on the right. Uh-huh. The masculine side, just to point that out. Yes. Yeah, there is an inversion. There's some interesting inversions for sure. But you can see the yod of the cube. And the fact that they're on this tile floor that is all cubed out. Uh, and even on the death card, they're tethered to a block. They're chained to a black cube, a black block. And spoiler alert, one of them goes through an infernal experience. And the other one goes to a, a field of uh, fertility. Uh, so this is very much playing out all the aspects of the devil card. I love it, man. Good call. Okay. So the hippo says, so you like 
twins. <laughs> you know, because the other interesting that you just brought up the devil card, because the other card that has similar symbolism would be the lover's card that has the twins. That's the Gemini card. Uh, okay, where am I at in my notes here? Yeah, so I already brought it up. Steven is the winter sun, feminine, dark, yin, twin. He's always wearing black. And uh, the next shot, we find out they're dead. They're in the duot. The duo is in the duot. <laughs> the duot is the Egyptian underworld, you could say. Uh, it's kind of like a transition place. Now, here's where they also point out that Tarwet, Tar, Tarwet is the, they call her the goddess of women and children. But that's not entirely accurate to the full explanation of the symbolism of Tarwet. We'll get to that. There's probably a lot we could say about the duet, but I, I didn't really go there. <laughs> so if I to say the way it's depicted in this show is pretty far from the actual Egyptian mythology. Oh, you know, Oops. on the, on the tree of life, the Ath is a, uh, it's a throat. It's a, one of the Sephiroth and it's hidden. It's a, it's not present on all of them, but it's uh, in the throat location. And I have heard a really cool theory that in a near death experience, this is such a cool theory that uh, we actually swallow the reality in which we die. And that's, uh, and it goes, we, it gets uh, dissolved in the uh, throat chakra. And that's why we get adrenalized in a near death experience. And we actually remanifest a reality where we survive. Uh, so I just thought that that's something to think about with the duat in that uh, hidden uh, sphere on the tree of life having to do with that, uh, generating a parallel reality to live, to continue living. That is great, man. And so to talk more about the throat, you know, and the opening of the mouth in terms of the chakra system and the notes that associate the musical notes of the scale, the throat is G G the generative principle and <laughs> the letter in the middle of the Masonic compass. And that makes perfect sense because logos with a G right in the middle is what creates the manifest world. You know, we speak our reality into creation, but then the ads tool, which is the, the, the iron tool that is used to open the mouth for the dead in Egyptian pract burial practices is shaped like a seven and G is the seventh letter. It is also the seventh and final note of the traditional seven notes of the musical scale. Now here she is. If we're definitely, there's definitely a lot of tarot and tarot symbolism in this episode, no doubt. And I find it interesting that she's reading her script off of cards. Awesome. <laughs> Towerette cards, tarot cards. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I, I totally missed that. That is glorious. <laughs> Yeah, some people think that the tarot cards originate from Egypt. I've heard rumors of like underground chambers that depict the 22 images of the major arcana as like wall reliefs. So that's possible. Uh, and then what you said about the afterlife manifesting a reality where we survive. It's a very fascinating idea because 
and my understanding of, you know, existence is all that exists. So in, in all likelihood, what we're experiencing right now in this reality is a, a manifestation of some reality where we survive, <laughs> if that makes sense. And well, I've heard in, like, this is a very psychopomp moment. She's the gui- guide of these departed souls, the, the manes, the, that's a word for the, you know, the departed there. She's got these big hands, even with blue fingernails, blue is the color of the throat chakra, oddly enough. Now, so yeah, what I've, I've heard this from like, Shaman, shamanistic books I've read and people who claim to have like psychopomp responsibilities in that when they are traveling through mm, non-physical duat type locations in I guess you could call it astral travel vocabulary is funny but you know out of body travel or inner space travel upper or lower world travel maybe like lower world travel would be more accurate that uh these shamanistic psychopomp individuals will enter into like little reality pockets or reality bubbles where a, somebody who has died who has an extreme attachment, but is not still lingering in the physical world as some kind of like hungry ghost type, uh, poltergeist or possessing spirit that some people like, this is maybe where the idea of hell even originates from that. Some people will create like a looping, repeating segment of reality (laughs) where whatever it is that they're attached to or stuck on, it just like continually repeats in a a time loop type death loop type thing. So she says an afterlife, not the afterlife. And it's kind of like what they're going through here because they're caught in this loop of oscillating, vacillating, I guess is the word that Harrow uses between two very different realities. One where there's two of them, one where there's one of them. So uh, let's, uh, if you guys want to jump in, remember anytime, jump in anytime. You know, since you mentioned the ads tool and we're dealing with this twin uh, thing, I threw, I threw out that uh, this is an old graphic I made a while ago. I shot it to you. It's got the ads tool and some of Mario Garza's work uh, and right laid out next to the, uh, the moon card from the Crowley deck. And uh, early on, I came to realize that Anubis and Saturn uh, are identical uh, gematrologically in uh, ordinal reduced. They're the exact same numbers, just rearranged in different order. So uh, I just thought I'd throw this forward that uh, Saturn and Anubis are powerfully correspondent in the in a very major way. Anubis being the ferryman who carries you through the through the afterlife, and then uh, another ob- observation is that Stark Tower looks like Anubis. Uh, if you go down just a little, you can see it's the outline of Anubis. It's so obvious. And a nickname for Anubis is he who is at the place of embalming. That is one of his many titles. And so I just thought I would consummate what you said, Chance, about the ads tool and the embalming process. Look how the ads tool also looks like the shape of Anubis. It looks like a seven. There are seven stars in either one of the dippers, which are twins. There are two twin 
dippers spiraling around the North Star there. And in, on the moon card, there are two towers with the outline of Anubis on either one of the towers. Um, when we are dealing with moon night. So here's the moon card with all the ingredients uh, in Dogs of War. That's the Dow Jones. <laughs> oh, very appropriate to show us the Thoth tarot from Crowley because A, there's a character named Crowley in this show, and B, Thoth may not be mentioned in this show, but Thoth is another moon god. Thoth is also Anubis. They, they're the same entity. They form perform the same role. And when we're talking about the psychopomp, the ferryman of souls, crosses over between the realm of the living and the dead. Another name for that is Charon. Sounds a lot like Chiron. Charon. <laughs> uh, uh, the Greek word for hand is cher. And uh, the word har in is in uh, Sanskrit is to carry. Harma in Greek is to is a car. We're talking about the car of Osiris, the boat in the duat. And Anubis, like all the other psychopomps, right? The, the ferryman of souls, the one that crosses between the realms, the one that goes both ways. Anubis is Thoth, is Mercury, is Jesus, is Horus, is Osiris. Is yada 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 at etc. Et <laughs> I know for sure from my study of language and mythology that we're dealing with one system that got split in some way, either intentionally or unintentionally, split like a like a psychotic, schizophrenic, uh, one world culture that became fragmented and disassociative, identity disordered. Now, in this thought tarot, now that we have it up. Two towers for the moon card, the the twin dogs, the Anubis of it. The twin dogs could also be like your Romulus and Remus, raised by the wolf. Uh, and you have the scarab, which is the sun symbol, underground with the golden orb starting to come up. So demonstrating how the the moon and thus the feminine in these systems is symbolic of also the underworld journey of the sun. Like a seed has to go underground. You know, the the male seed has to go internally into the female, into the dark cave, <laughs> through the fault. <laughs> uh, oh, so you know what? One more thing while we're talking about the sevens and the ads tool, the, the funeral, the Jewish funeral is called a shiva, which means seven. Oh, you're jumping ahead, dude. <laughs> I, know, I just want to, because we are, we're, because it is a funeral, right? And it's called seven. That just hit me. <laughs> Sorry. That just no, yeah, we'll we'll ret- we'll return to that because there's more to say about that for sure. <laughs> I'm not chastising, but the last thing I want to say, since we're looking at your great slide here, other than the fact that this image is funny, because Mario and I, if Mario is still in the chat, we watched 2001: A Space Odyssey, where in the film they go to Jupiter, but in the book they go to Saturn. And there is a ton of imagery like this with these two orbs and an eclipsed third orb. <laughs> eclipsed, a placent eclipse apocalypse, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I want to say, too, is like this fairy man of souls, this Anubis Charon character, character, <laughs> uh, the car of it, the car of Osiris. This is why Jesus, who is also a psychopomp and ferryman of souls, a redeemer, a savior, salvator, salvager on the waters, has a uh, 
you know, story of being a carpenter. And the other, okay, so we also have to connect this back to Thoth or Anubis or Tahuti, whoever we want to call him. The weighing of the heart ritual, which we're about to talk about a little bit more, but since we're almost there, we'll get into that. The weighing of the heart ritual. The heart is also the car, the car of Osiris, the Christ, the Christos, the the black sun, the hidden light, the hidden sun, the seed, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, the divine spark is in the heart, the car Dio, the car of God, the carrier of the divine spark is the heart. And the thought entity is often depicted with an ibis head. The word in Egyptian for the heart is ib, I-B. And so what do you do with your hands in terms of especially recording memory, bridging between worlds, the past and the future, writing? You call it scribing, scribe. Right in the middle of scribe, you have ib, the heart, the word for heart. Right in the middle of Bible, Jesus's book, you've got the ib, the heart. (laughs) This is good. I'm kind of going on and on here, but like just trying to paint the picture that this fairy man, this Charon, this Carve Osiris, this is symbolic of all the different psychopomp characters from Hermes to Mercury to Jesus to Thoth to you name Buddha. Now I'm thinking about also how uh, it's how Car is also the chair. It's maybe the true throne. Like a lot of people would expect the throne to be up here. Maybe again, the, the Greek word chair, which hair. looks like when you transliterate it, it looks like the word chair, but it's just a hard right. ch. Right. So maybe the true throne is in the heart, and I would have thought before that the throne is here. So a chair rib is the chair in your ribs is pointing. You know, uh, I always call Jesus the. Core pointing, care painting carpenter, Uh, because he's pointing at that core where the green is painted with that which you care for. But now I'm thinking about it in a new light. I'm glad we had this uh, because it is. It's also the throne. The true throne is in the heart. I dig it. Oh, that was a really good thread we just pulled on. (laughs) Not in my notes at all. But yeah, people are already pointing out cardiovascular. Car and core. Core is similar, of course. Corazon. Yeah, core is also a word for heart. Earth is mostly green. It's an anagram for heart. Very good. Very good. Good stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> Corazon. I dig it. Good one, Gordy. Man, price. Oh, I think it was Carrie that brought it up. I, it, if it wasn't for her, I, would not, I wouldn't have seen it. But this is what what's cool about doing this live with people with other people. This crowdsourcing is freaking awesome. I love this shit. Oh yeah, it's so good. And it's also happening on the Rockfin side. People are making great comments there too. So let's talk a little bit more about Tower Towerette. Uh there are many other names associated with this goddess. Here's a we keep idea screenshot. Uh maybe a little hard to read. I don't know if I can zoom in. Oh, yeah, I can. So depicted like this. Pretty creepy. (laughs) Got like almost a wing type thing going on. Lion paws, pendulous, back to that pendulum word, breasts, uh, crocodile tail is what it's supposed to be typically. 
so she is associated with atriopoc- uh, atriopachic magic, which is like protection magic. Here's some interesting thing, though. Her name, it goes from T to T. Tawaret or Tart, Tuat, Tuart, Tawaret, Twert. Uh, and then from the Greek versions, you get Toeris. Sounds a lot like Taurus. <laughs> Taurus. And uh, the theta is often pronounced a little different than we would pronounce a TH. So it would sound kind of like Shuris. Or Shueris, um, hard to pronounce, but so it's connecting us to Shu a little bit. The T to the T is Tot, is Thoth, is Tahuti. Uh, this is like very possibly a sort of uh, feminine polarity or feminine savior motif because she is the mistress of pure water and all these sun gods who are part of this trinity of God, goddess, sun, uh, trimurti, trinity thing, they also are related to words having to do with water and flow, like constantly, always. I find it interesting that she is she who removes water <laughs> because, you know, when the birth happens, the water breaks and the flooding goes on. So, uh, we won't maybe linger too much on this other than childbirth and fertility. She's a goddess of childbirth and fertility. And what they're doing with her here in this show, oops, bring this back, is <laughs> they go first, first, let's say they go out the door and mention the Crowley character, probably about to yell bingo. We already talked about bingo last time. <laughs> uh, here's the boat that they're, this vessel, the car, if you will. The, the boat is a yoni symbol. Traditionally, uh, the ship is the yoni, the hull is the yoni, and the mast is the phallus. And here she is. She pulls out the hearts of the two characters of the twins and puts them on the scale. That is not her traditional role. So why is she the one doing it? Are we kind of, is this just like a bastardization? Why would they choose her at all? Did they just want to have a hippo character? Or is everything in these shows chosen specifically? And they're telling us that the mother is the father, you know, like the hermaphroditic Hermes or the hermaphroditic Aphrodite. And that she, with her T to the T, the Tav to the Tav in her name, is also sort of like a female polarity of Thoth, who is Anubis, who would actually be the one performing this weighing of the hearts against the feather of Maat. Those are the questions I have about why they would use her like that. Yeah, well, uh, a couple observations. She is rocking the scarab uh, on her chest. And uh, per Mario's work recently, he points out that the uh, cancer was often in early days depicted as a scarab. That is correct. Yep, so we're sitting at 180-degree opposition to the Capricorn sign. So it has propinquity. It has that 180 aspect to where we are in the underworld. She is above that uh, with that sign of the scarab. And the scarab, which is also on the moon card. The moon rules cancer. There you go. It's also that, that insect. Almost always there's a bug on the moon card of some sort, a crab, a lobster, 
some kind of crustacean. So she is kind of playing the role of the scribe is in that she brings forward the feather. She puts the feather, she places the feather on the scale. Uh, so there is some good call scribes, right? With a feather. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, this also reminds me of the fact that Barack Obama is a cancer and Barack in reverse is Karab. And so there is a, wow. Yes. And uh, he was the, I thought you just meant Barack was a cancer, like metaphorically, like he was a cancer upon our world. Yeah, he was born in the sign of cancer, and his his persona, the persona that he wears, is named Barack. That's not his real name, and it's just too perfect. It's you know he's taking Barry Santoro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Barry Santoro, exactly. Uh, so yeah, the persona that he depicts uh, has that name that is perfect because you reverse it and you get Scarab, uh, uh, and he was the first black president of the. Harvard Law Review, which is very Scarab-esque, you know, the writers of the stories that we are so, so many people are so obedient to. So there is all that. Oh, and the, uh, that's a chariot card. And so she's also driving the ship. So, 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 yeah, I see her having a lot of Cancerian ingredients. Well, the disc on her head. The sun is technically at its highest apex or zenith, I guess, during cancer. So there's that too. Now, <laughs> she doesn't have a tarot card for this. The scales won't balance because their hearts are too chaotic, I guess. It's just va- rapidly va- vacillating, that hypnotic pendulum thing. Just like you said. When Harrow said your uh, mind is violently vacillating between uh, whatever two realities, sense, sense and nonsense. Right, sense and nonsense. That's what broke him. So broke she tells them that they need. Oh, go ahead, Gordy. Mm. No, we'll come back to that. It'll it'll happen. She says that they need to go back into the hospital and figure out how to balance their scales. So they do. And, you know, they go look through some windows in their memory palace, their memory castle, their memory psych ward. (laughs) And so here's a little foreshadowing. We see what's interesting here is, um, Underneath this QR code that probably scans you to a, a Moon Knight comic online, this door is labeled bedroom, oddly enough. And that's also foreshadowing. But whenever Mark says, oh, it's just a street. How many streets have you been down in your life? It's nothing. That's kind of interesting because, well, streets pertain to flow. <laughs> and that's too much of a tangent to get into. but. I could if I wanted to. I'll just leave it there. Interesting that he says oi, though. Oi is I-O-O-I-1-0. <laughs> um, now, oh, <laughs> to back up a little bit, uh, they do say, at one point I found it interesting, they say 
the hospital is the imagination. Kind of getting a little lost in my notes. That was over here. I'm losing track of which screenshot is which number, and I have my notes numbered. All right. So on this, when they go out and they and Mark realizes maybe he's not insane and they really are in the duet and it's not the meds that are making him see the big hippo. Uh, they say the hospital is the imagination as in the hospital where he's talking to Harrow is actually the one that's the imagination. And this is the reality. And I found that just to be a really powerful statement because <laughs> people imagine all kinds of things that are going to happen for them at the hospital. And uh, reality is often quite darker, maybe even landing them in the duet. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> the hospital is the imagination folks, no doubt. Now, oh, okay, so there was a little bit more I wanted to say about this. Uh, she, like, like I mentioned before, Anubis or Thoth should be doing the uh, weighing of the heart ritual. Interesting other notes about Tauret is that, according to Plutarch, she is the consort of Seth, and Seth would be, you know, our Typhonian adversarial Satan character. So uh, odd that his consort is here, but then in the Theban account, so there's different accounts everywhere, but the Theban account, which maybe is more accurate, maybe not Thebes is kind of super Greek and the Greeks really bastardized the Egyptian tradition. Uh, At the time that they came, their civilization had already degraded quite a bit, but the Theban account says that Tauret is the consort of Amun. Amun is the hidden one, the sun at its most high zenith. Also cancer in terms of the ecliptic, but in terms of the day, it's like high noon where your shadow is hidden. That's why Amun is the hidden one. And as the consort of Amun, she's said to be the one who gives birth to Osiris and the siblings, Set, Isis, and Nephthys, who are siblings of Osiris. So. That definitely puts her into, uh, dramatically puts her into the, if she's the consort of Seth, that definitely makes her sort of like the, the female Jesus Mercury character, because that the adversary to the Jesus would be the set or the Satan, or the opposite would be the set or the Satan. So there's all that I wanted to put out there. Yeah. So th- that makes that makes a lot of sense because uh, when I think of set, I think of the number seven, uh, and we did mention the Habs tool and the seven there, and uh, that that it's the most high aspect up there, circling around the North Pole, and also Cancer is the seventh month, and I also always think of the seventh chakra being the the your root that you sit on your root chakra. Uh, so that does make a lot of sense that she would be, have that association that uh, being a consort to set. I really like that a lot. Sort of the root could be the seventh. If you're counting from top to bottom, if you're counting from bottom to top, which is more common, but who's to say, uh, then the seventh would be the crown chakra. Which it kind of makes more sense to go from bottom to top because that's how you build a structure from the bottom up. And the crown, you know, the crown, (laughs) crown is Saturn, Cronus, God of Fortresses. Part of the reason I I have that association, I count them downward. 
it has to do with the days of creation. On the seventh day, he rested. Always, in my mind, meant on the seventh chakra is what you sit upon. Uh, That's a good call. And in the in the Hermetic yeah. principles, it is gender. The seventh principle mm-hmm. is gender. Right. So that's just how my mind forms that. Oh, I like that. I kind of think you could count either direction. Sort of like how sometimes in tuning sessions, I'll start at the bottom and go up. And other times I'll start at the top and go down. Generally, though, I think I like to go bottom first. <laughs> it takes longer. The roots are thicker and heavier and they take longer to clear out. There's more digging to do. The crown energies are very like light and ethereal, like a couple of strikes of the tuning fork. I've even had it happen where just saying, all right, I'm going to start on the third eye or start on the crown chakra and I didn't even do anything. And that clears it up. <laughs> it's wild. But the root sometimes will like in a session that's an hour, I'll spend 30 minutes going from feet to root chakra, the, the lower half or more. So speaking of underworld rooty stuff, the first door that they actually go into in their memory palace. Just a creepy calf filled with dead bodies. No big deal. As you do. <laughs> As one does. Now, the memories are a mess here, they're told, before they come in here. Uh, I imagine this is what Portland looks like now. <laughs> 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 just zombies staring at, staring at coffee tables. Yeah, those are their Starbucks canopic Starbucks. canopic right. Starbucks. Right. Hey, Starbucks, get on that. You got you got five minutes to market that. Not Drink your that. echidna beverages here. Right. <laughs> echidna piss. Oh, beautiful. So in this room, they find out that Steve. This is all the people that. Mark has killed. It's a lot of people. This is your, these are your heroes in Disney Marvel. You know, it's no longer who can save the most people. It's who can kill the most people the fastest. (laughs) I mean, seriously though, most of the Marvel superheroes at this point are mass murderers. Gone are the days of the Batman, Spider-Man archetype where they make sure they save everyone, including the bad guy. Not completely gone, but mostly gone. Mostly gone. Yep. And it's while they're in this room, his, those are his marks. Yeah. <laughs> those are marks, marks. It's mm-hmm. a really good call. And then we see this boy in the room and Steven decides to chase him because why would you, why Mark, why is there a little boy in this room of all the people you've killed? So there's that. And I don't know what to make of this little dog head pillow here, but there's that too. Just noticed it. Oh, it's a, uh, it's another Anubis. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. It's kind of got a fractal re- reflection of Anubis on the scales set. But it's, it's in the chair where you sit, hmm. but it's childish. It's the child version. It's a nice, it's a toy. Right. So it's, it's reflecting that this Anubis in the foreground is the Anubis in the background where we're being told that this is the, the kid is the Anubis. Hmm. Yeah. The dying and resurrecting God. This is the, because this is where we go in the story. He, he finds out, well, 
we'll get there. Sorry. No, you go ahead and narrate us. Okay, so this is what happens. He's going back. He's revisiting his trauma. So he goes back to his, his uh, he chases the boy. The boy goes into this world. Which and is, uh, Stephen locks Mark out of this room. Right, and Mark is trying to not let him see it. So he's trying to prevent him from, from witnessing whatever is happening here. And clearly this is the, the child's trauma. This is his mother, and he realizes that, Mom? And they're, it's like perfect uh, singing backyard uh, family get-together where she's making burgers on the grill, and he's hammering out a little playpen for the boys. And it's like idyllic, but goes south really fast. Yeah, uh, she says, who's hungry? Roro? I thought Roro was interesting because they're on a boat. They're going through the memory stream. Row, row, row your boat gently down a dream. Row, row is also backwards. And I did say this is the most Jewish episode. We haven't really touched on the Hebrew stuff yet. We'll get there. But row, row backwards would be or, or. And I've never made this connection before with or, but an or is what you row with. (laughs) Forwards and backwards. Or is also a name for gold or also an archaic name for the sun. So the sun, Helios rides his boat through the sky, the the boat of Ra. And even back to Set, Set is actually after being defeated by Horus, Set is put to work defending the boat of Ra, the car. (laughs) So that's symbolic of Set representing the lower mind. Once the higher mind has conquered the lower nature, the lower nature is then employed to work for the higher mind rather than fight against it. So row, row, or, or two sons, or, or there are two, she has two sons, the twins. They're not really twins, but symbolically the twins, instead of the twins being Mark and Steven. Now it is Mark and Randall, Randall being the little brother. He is uh, drawing a picture here and Randall. What's interesting is Randall is drawing this picture, not Mark. And Mark points out he drew the fish with only one fin. (laughs) So we this is a callback to the one finned goldfish from episode one, the goldfish problem, implying that Mark was drawn to buy the one finned goldfish because it reminded him of this memory, even though that was unconscious. And this memory has been locked away in his psych ward memory palace. And here's a glass of water. Now. This would be a good point to demonstrate. We've probably already missed a glass of water or two in here, but the Hebrew letter mem sounds a lot like mom. Mem, as in memory, remember. Mem, <laughs> the fish is even missing one of his members. He had a missing member, missing fin, a missing or, because the, the fin is the or of the fish, or, or, row, row. This glass of water is symbolic of the fact that this is a mem or e. Nice. (laughs) Nice. That's freaking glorious. Yes. Uh, You know, mom is sporting that blue again, much like Towerette, much like Layla. She's got that classic blue, uh, royal blue. The fish is surrounded by the little blue bubbles. 
kind of, I think all of that in my mind uh, hails back to the high priestess card who is carrying the Torah in her lap. Uh, and uh, I think also hails to what we've mentioned in the past with the aqua doctrine, which is the uh, Torah for water or uh, gnosis or excuse me, the gospels or the sacred texts being uh, as essential to uh, the acolytes as water is to humans. So, yeah. And we have Qbobs. She She's feeding him Qbobs. And corn. And corn. Corn is a, the corn myth. Right. <laughs> corn is the original myth. The corn means seed in Hebrew, K-R-N. It's also where we derive the word Cronus, crown, cornu, yeah. all of that stuff. And the corn or the seed goes underground into the underworld, into the dark cave, into the yoni where it is dead or in stasis, just like this memory is frozen in stasis until it is, the right conditions come for it to resurrect. And then from the seed, the <laughs> I've talked about this in other places, but I would love to point out since there's so much mirror symbolism in this show, I brought it up with the homie Romy, with with you guys also, <laughs> but I don't think that episode's out yet and it's not on my channel. I brought it up that one of the dying and resurrecting sun gods, Adonis, his mother is Mira. And Mira sounds a lot like Mary, mother of Jesus, or Maya, mother of Hermes. Maya, also the mother of Booty, Booty, but <laughs> Buddha, Booty, same word. And Mira, when she gets pregnant, she is cast out or chastised by her family and gets transformed into a tree. And from her, she, from as a tree, she gives birth to Adonis. Adonis is then whisked away to the underworld by psychopomp Aphrodite. In this case, Aphrodite, who is often depicted with a beard swinging both ways. There's a lot of talk lately too. And I haven't found the, I haven't found the thread yet that is conclusive evidence, but there's a lot of talk that, Venus and Venus and Mercury, the as names for the luminary, uh, the luminaries before those planets before in the time after those were names for the sun god, uh, Aphrodite slash Venus and Mercury were switched, and that what we currently recognize as Venus was called Mercury, and vice versa. So Aphrodite takes the baby seed corn uh, Adonis to to the underworld. And he is fostered, fostered just like Romulus and Remus are fostered by Fosterless, just like Hermes' foster father is Pan. And we'll have to talk about Pan later. There's more to say about Pan. Uh, and after he's fostered, he comes out of the underworld, resurrects, so to speak, born as the strikingly handsome Adonis. And we'll just say to syncretize a little bit more that Ad as in Adapi, Ad is a name for Buddha as well. Buddha is another one of these, another one of these psychopomp sun god uh, depicted as black, all of that stuff. So anyway, <laughs> Mira, this is, you know, this is Mother Mira, if you will. Mother Mary, Mar is sea, Mar is water, Mare, but Mar is also backwards for Ram, Mar is Mars. Mars is your arms. Mars is the god of war. Mark is the violent one, the warrior, 
And Mars also was said to rule the sea, the Maria, Maria, Mare, the nightmare, the, <laughs> the mare, dark horse. Um, there's so much symbolism wrapped up in this episode, in this conversation, but uh, maybe to try to, let's <laughs> just get on a roll with this. Like this is this and this is this, but yeah. to maybe put a cap on it, um, you know, the, the resurrection moment or the high height of the sun, the baby, the child, the lamb of God, you know, Jesus Christ is Aries, a rise, <laughs> you know, it's an anagram for a rise Aries is. And also, okay, I'll just stop there. <laughs> I'll just stop there. The child is going to rise. The child is Aries, the high Ram. And uh, that's interesting because Mark happens to be a Pisces, which is what precedes Aries in the sky clock. Yeah. I got, I got so. a point. I got to point out she makes all this wonderful food. She, she gives, provides all this nourishment. She puts the placenta right there in front of him and he walks away from it. All that work, it's put on the table, it's laid out, and uh, Harrow can't help those who won't help themselves. Uh, so he does have this uh, refusal of mom's offerings here. And this is where, for the first time, we hear that passphrase where he says to mom, later's gators, and she fulfills that passphrase. She says, after a while, crocodile. So this is the only time we're going to hear. And those are her last words that are affectionate. Because after this uh, event that's about to happen, she doesn't have anything sweet to say from that point on. So it's a very nostalgic, powerful moment. And I'll point out, Father is a carpenter. Wow, that is a really good point. The last kind words she ever says to Mark is, after a while, crocodile. Yep, yep. And she's the one judging his heart at all times, like Amit. You know, she's yes. like the Amit of his psyche. You got it, man. You got wow. it. Yep. And we got dad as a carpenter with all these tools, much like Hephaestus. Oh, my God. The father is the son. Yeah. Carpenter. The car. Wow. It's a good call. Yep. Uh, and because we're dealing with the mother... And, and the, the, his father is also the one that cares, cars about him. Right. <laughs> After mom takes goes care crazy. of him. Yeah. Takes care of him. Yep. So um, just because we're talking about the mother in this, uh, you know, the primordial relationship, everything is idyllic right here, like Gordy was saying. <clears throat> uh, I just uh, sent you a quick uh, little graphic from the very first episode we did. Just to remind anybody who, you know, it's been a while since we did our first episode on the first one. But, uh, you know, Laters Gators, after a while, Crocodile is also a hailing back to the very opening scene of the whole entire series when we were birthed into this endeavor uh, where Harrow is putting the broken glass, uh, the broken vessel, uh, the broken... Uh, shells of the uh, Sephiroth, putting them in his gaiters or his crocs, whichever you want to call these. Uh, and that is the just kind of a hailing back to the origin of the trauma because he puts glass in his shoes and then he goes walking into the glass filled shoes 
and they literally are superimposing the sound of glass in every step Harrow takes throughout the film. And I just put in this biblical passage where it states that every place in which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Um, And that's a very important part of the Bible as it has a lot to do with the birth certificate, the birth certificate where you are initiated into life. Just throwing all those ingredients into the mix in case anybody forgot. Very good. Very good callback, especially because of how important glass really is and all this. And uh, Andrea pointed out Mark is wearing green and yellow. That is heart and solar plexus. That is chest. That is core, the core of your body. Interesting too. Uh, green, the lungs are associated with Gemini. The lungs are where in the biofield we store grief, sorrow, sadness, and the lungs are, yeah, the lungs are in the heart chakra region as well in terms of the chakra system. So it's interesting he's wearing green because I don't think we ever see him wear green again. You know, maybe this is like the last point where his heart <laughs> isn't all chopped up like broken glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is some thick gravy. You unindoctra Ryanated. Yeah. <laughs> I warned you guys the gravy was like severe tonight. <laughs> and I'm also really proud of our progress. We're hustling through this yet leaving Seemingly no stone unturned. This is amazing. This might be our best yet. Who sets up a, a backboard like that? Who's dunking on that? Just the, the kids, the boys? Nobody, nobody's preparing a kid like that. Come on, dad, <laughs> you're a carpenter. Do your job. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry is a board game, dude. Let's go. Okay, so the kids decide they don't want dinner. They want to go to the cave. The Luke Skywalker going to Dagobah cave, mm-hmm. <laughs> facing the dark side. And interesting, on the walk there, Steven's following them, and he sees the dead bird skeleton. You know, there's your Kansu. Kansu. And I uh, see dinky meat feet there, your dog, <laughs> Gordy. Hello, dog. I don't think I had any notes about. Oh. It's it grates me every single time I see that stupid crow crow head skull thing. I still have not got my hands around why they changed the head. Like I I I kind of get like in the comic in Lumiere, like it's he sets it kind of it's the first time you see Kansu as as the the skull headed god. And in previous Moon Knights in the comic, you never see, you never see Kansu himself. Like it's just the ethereal god, you know, that gives powers or whatever. In, in uh, Lunatic, which this is based on, that's where the crow thing came in. And it's still, I, I haven't gotten my head around it, but I'm, we'll figure it out by the time we end this thing. Well, he's got a very grim reaper feel about him, right? That staff that he carries, there's a later shot where you could definitely, in a silhouette sense, associate it with a scythe. Right. And so this is a very Saturnian Khonshu. There is a special relationship between the moon and Saturn in a lot of ways you could decode. But, you know, without getting too lost in the sauce on that, 
Um, you know, the crow, I'll just point out the philological link between the crow, which is Corvus in Latin, and the Greek chronos, in that Corvus would be C O R. There's your core again, by the way, <laughs> your core, your car, C O R V U S. Now, in uh, in Latin, the I'm sorry, in Greek, the letter that would sort of represent the V, they don't have a V, but it looks like uh, it's more like a, a U sound, a upsilon, but it looks like the letter N in the Latin alphabet. So when you're talking Corvus, which is crow, C-O-R-V-U-S, it would be misspelled or mistranslated phonetically speaking to cornus cornu cornea cornucopia corn and it's a very easy switch to just change that cro to cor or cor to cro so philologically speaking when we're talking corvus crow we're talking cronus and the cor the corvus the crow is the putrefaction the black stage in alchemy Saturn is depicted in the color sable or black, you know, the Grim Reaper in black <laughs> coming to take away the thing that is ready to die, the putrefaction stage. So <laughs> this, this is funny. Get your Corvid poke. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the, the thing too, is that yes. it looks like it's the, a needle beak, the needle beak, the, uh, uh, plague doctor masks and you know that whole imagery and a lot of this is symbolic mentalism that uh, these are all things we've all known like we're not we're not really trudging any new ground in this other than we're we're putting all the we're seeing all these things that are already there right we're not we're not really reinventing the wheel we're just pointing out what they're showing us and have been doing for all our whole lives as long as we've been watching media yeah. is changing the the shit to and it's gonna it's gonna come back this whole this whole plague thing is gonna come back when when they start talking to each other and they start to get it when he when he realizes there's the innocent and the there's the the um he's faced with a point where he has to choose either truth or uh, the willful ignorance, like being in in the lie. He needs to either choose the choose the the uh, um, bliss of ignorance, or he chooses the truth. And this is where it starts: is running into that cave. Well said, man. Well said. I love that symbolic mentalism. That's that's a good term. Are we having fun yet? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> having a lot of fun. Now back to that mem mom memory. Gabe, can you turn down a little bit by the oh, way? Yeah, I can hear myself coming through. No problem. Uh back to the mem mom deal. Uh on the back like to talk about the biofield anatomy a little bit, our energy field of our body. The left side of the body is the maternal side, mother side, feminine side. And it also is where our history more. It's more of a it's more of the history, the past side. 
And the right side is more future oriented. So like an example would be the ankles, which we touched on in earlier episodes. The left ankle would be like, if you had issues in the left ankle in your energy field, it would represent being stuck to something. Whereas the right ankle would represent issues with uh, obstacles, something in front of you. So there's this front and back dynamic or future past. And so, you know, in the, even in the biofield, our left side, mother side does pertain to past and history, just like his trauma, his past that's in his history or whatever is a uh, mother related. And Steven is like the left hand side in terms of these twins. He's shown on the left in the earlier screenshot. He's wearing the black, the feminine. And this is totally anecdotal from something else, but a quick little story about a recent tuning client I had that blew my mind. I had this client who his entire energy field on the left side of his body was like shut down and he was dealing with fertility issues. Fertility. There's a lot of fertility, God and goddess stuff already talked about and more to come in this decode. And fascinatingly enough, <laughs> he, he was raised in a communist country, which is leftism, if you will. You know, and the communist is the version of the state that is like the mommy state, take care of everything, uh, hyper nurturer to the point of weakening the the child, the son. So I thought that was very interesting. And then on uh, <laughs> another recent client had right side of the body issues. And I scanned that with the dowsing rods. And he was like, after I told him that the right side of his energy field was what we needed to work on. He told me the whole right side of his body had been painful. And uh, the trauma that I found with this client, the main trauma that we worked on balancing was that he had issues being a father. So more future, future oriented type worry uh, in the sense that his uh, child had nearly died several times at a certain point when it was young. So Right side, father, potter, he was the father in this situation. And the right side was, was where the trauma was showing up. Anyway, that's sort of ten, sort of a anecdotal sidetrack. But all these dynamics of left and right, <laughs> interestingly enough, masculine, feminine, left and right, they do show up in a like literal way in the energy field of people, in a measurable way. And it's fascinating. The pattern is there. The potter, <laughs> the potter and the mater, the patter. Patter, pattern influences the matter, the mother. Yeah, tangent over. <laughs> Good gravy. So I, I listened to uh, one of those other people's breakdowns on the Moon Knight on this episode, and they mentioned that there's a lot of regulation around scenes with children in water. And I found that very profound. Oh, yeah, it, like you can't show it because it, well it's because of the twilight zone movie the twilight zone movie um the two kids were decapitated in the in that pond with the uh, helicopter and so after that um you guys know about this right no okay no. so during the filming of the twilight zone um vic morrow was the actor he had the two kids right he's he's reenacting the scene from uh uh uh, Vietnam and there's 
uh, chopper is supposed to go overhead and he's rescuing the two Vietnamese children, these little kids, and he's running through a swamp. But the, the, um, the chopper failed and decapitated all three of them. Wow. And um, they were dismembered in yeah. the mem of the water and the memory of that causes a regulation in Hollywood forever thereafter. Forever. Yeah. Wow. That is really, yeah. and it was That's three. Why, yeah. I can't remember the director, the, uh, the director for, it was somebody we would all know. Uh, anyway, he was brought up on charges. Um, they didn't, I don't know if he, he really like any punishment was done, but, um, I know there was a whole trial and there were a lot of strong laws after that about child, uh, children and acting and stunts and all that stuff and water and all that. Wow. I'm glad I said something. That's cool that you knew the, you knew the root of it. That's really intense. That's why we got Gordy on the team, yo. It's because there's a punk band called Vic Morrow's Head. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, jeez. Speaking of punk names with uh, ridiculous. <laughs> That's how I know it. When I when I brought up the fact that the mental hospital was Putnam, was called Putnam, and I was like, I wonder what that could mean. This comment came up earlier and I just didn't say anything about it, but Seth Putnam, someone United Universe says Seth Putnam, and I was like, Who's that? So I Google it. <laughs> Apparently, Seth Putnam was an American musician who was the founder, vocalist, and occasional guitarist of a grindcore band called Anal Cunt. <laughs> he died of a core attack. I mean, heart attack. Uh, of so course. Sorry for saying anal cunt, everybody. <clears throat> but, you know, anal, that's definitely an anal birth, a monkeyless reference. Thank that's you, like United a, Universe. That's like a two word Cohen right there. <laughs> I know. I mean, are they, is that why they called it Putnam Hospital? Were they wanting to call us back to this hipster metal guy? I don't know. Weird. AC. It's also an AC. Alistair Crowley. Yeah. He died at age 43. Which is a DC. AC, DC. (laughs) So, okay. uh, Mem, mom, past, father, future. You know, your mom is where you came from. Your father is who shapes you for your future. Even Faber and Latin is to build or create. Uh, back to that carpenter idea. And fa- Faber or fa- uh, Fader, 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 I think it would be, is uh, German for father. F and V switch. Darth Vader is Darth Father. Literally means Darth Father. <laughs> oh, this is a good one, Carrie. Crows go ka or core. Core, core. Yeah, I see that. Anyway. Uh, while Mark is shut out of the cave memory, he sees his mom here. And so this is, you know, the dark mom showing up. And then we get this scene where, like Gordy said, I never really thought about it, but you never actually see the kids in this cave. You never see the kids in the water. You just hear their voices crying. And Stephen is trying to find them and get them to come out of the cave. But he's just an invisible hungry ghost in this memory. They can't see him or interact with him. Row, row, row your boat, Randall. Get out of there. But he doesn't. Um, basically drowns. 
There's the mommy in the cave, just like Steven yells mommy when he falls into the cave slash tomb in a previous episode. Uh, I really think that Steven is like the uh, Mark trying to resurrect his lost twin, you know, as an alter personality in a lot of ways. It's he seems to share a lot of personality traits, artistic, creative, sensitive, uh, inquisitive, all of that. And willing to play like the, um, the side character to Mark being the front man or the main character. They're actually playing pretend as the Dr. Grant, Indiana Jones character and his sidekick. I don't remember the sidekick's name while Steven's going through this. Mark is feeling it all on the emotional level. In his core, in his heart, just a memory. It's just a memory. Here's that. Frankick's name is Rosser. Rosser. That's a row. Rosser Crucian. That's an (laughs) RO, too. And Sir, (laughs) Sir is uh, the rock, the Lord, the, the name for the sun. Surya is the sun god in India. So, Ra, Sir. (laughs) <laughs> more solar encoding there with mm, Grant Grant. anyway then after that cave death of Randall just in case we weren't sure about the Jewish connection here's a bunch of Jews <laughs> the mem thing is definitely an accurate decode the mem memory water symbolism and all this and you know even the fact that this seen he's in water in this watery cave this traumatic birth canal where okay and this is in my opinion so evident but you have to know about the stuff we talk about that in this yoni cave dark cave birth from the underworld there are two in the cave one comes out alive one comes out dead that is baby and placenta. Yeah, buddy. End of story. <laughs> uh, I think. And it's the place they entered, and only one came out. One, only one survived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Carbon. Carb. Car. On. Yeah. Carbon. Good one, Carrie. Car is in so many words, y'all. It's a very important synchronistic link to see carbon, the father, the pattern carbon with the uh, six, six, six structure as well. Six, six, six is not evil. That's all there is to that. Uh, Got some Jews. She says to her son, when he comes down the stairs, this is all your fault. There's that fault word. Her name is Wendy. We we see that her, the mother's name is Wendy. W and M switch all the time, like between Sanskrit and Latin. N and M are also fairly interchangeable. So when I hear Wendy, I hear Memdi or Mendes, which is <laughs> Mendes uh, is an uh, Egyptian pharaoh too. So and um, Men is the mind, mental. So Wendy, Men, Mendy. Minty. (laughs) And here we are. We're back at the beginning. This is that opening line that we started with. 
when everybody was screaming at the opening, the opening scene, everybody's open mouth is yelling. And, you know, this brings up a, a little ingredient that I was hoping to drop on our episode with Homie Romy and Rising from the Ashes when we were talking about mirrors. Uh, but it never really came up. Uh, but it, I'll just throw it in the mix because it's perfect for this. And instead, we're in a Shiva. It's called Sitting Shiva. And I just want to really point out that sit, it lasts seven days. So there's the set in the seven yet again. Yeah, let um, me just clarify. Is seven. Shiva, Shiva is a Hebrew word meaning seven. And it is the seven week long mourning period in Judaism for immediate family members who die. Right. And it's traditional to cover the mirrors in a shiva. And I've been thinking about that because of the mirror episode we were going to do. I've had it on my mind a lot. And now here I have another opportunity to bring it forward. You know, like, um, I think that starting with the most simple answer for why they do that, because I'm sure there's a million reasons I'm never even going to think of in my, if I pondered it forever. You know, the most simple thought is that people desire to do the right thing at a, uh, at a, at a funeral. And so even the most simple of superstitions uh, are give a sense of making things right. So something so simple as just covering the mirrors, they'll actually turn them in reverse to face the wall instead is another thing that they'll do. They'll cover them with blankets or turn them towards the wall. So uh, it does give people a sense of just doing the right thing or, you know, having tradition or ritual. Uh, but another thought is that uh, it kind of making to take things to a deeper and more complex level, you know, you will read that it's so that the soul does not get trapped here because some people uh, believe that the spirit can be trapped in a mirror. So it prevents that uh, potential for capturing the soul or not letting it pass easily on. Um, and this is just my thoughts is maybe it's used to inhibit the potential that somebody could claim that they were visited by the spirit, uh, whether that's to give favor or to seek vengeance or have some sort of, you know, retribution uh, from those who have passed on. So that if there's no mirrors, then it keeps anybody in the family from saying, during the Shiva, I saw the spirit of the one who passed on. And they told me that this, that, or the other thing, some, you know, unofficial will and testament uh, you know, which would spark uh, animosity from people who didn't get visited, you know, so there's like... Uh, they told me they wanted me to take all of their money. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> nice. Is that a stereotype? And, and then another thought is that, and I this is something I read, is that the Shiva should not be about the people who are attending. So you shouldn't be focused on yourself, making sure you look good. It should be about the person who passed on. So it uh, kind of removes focus from the self and puts the focus on the person who passed. So th those were just some ingredients I uh, thought I would bring up. Uh, but I, I love the fact that the Shiva is the seven, which is the ads tool, which relates to set, who is Anubis, who is the ritualistic embalmer of those who have passed. Pretty gratifying. Very interesting, too, that 
in this shiva where the mirrors are <clears throat> theoretically covered, our main character, who's almost always depicted with the mirror somewhere around or some kind of reflection, he's not allowed into the scene. You know, <laughs> he can't he can't actually be present, interestingly enough. That is a very good point. Yeah. He's not welcome there. Hmm. Another thing, uh, men is a fertility and harvest god. So when and men, we'll talk about men a little bit more later, but you know, this is a mother. Um, men could be seen as sort of uh, analog to tower, Towerette, a male analog. Mm. <laughs> men is one of those gods that's usually shown with a, a big erect tower. <laughs> all <laughs> <laughs> uh, right so this in case a large member yeah <laughs> a large member exactly exactly and it's you know interesting too what enlarges the member is usually mental you know <laughs> it's like uh that's typically a big component of the whole arousal thing. So anyway, continuing forward, this is the definitive proof that this whole show is talking about placenta sorcery in my opinion because here we see after the death of his brother, after the death of his twin metaphorically, after the placenta is cut off from him, He's wearing his white birthday suit and he's blowing out the candles. He doesn't get the last one. But what's important is that his father is participating, but his mother is gone. The father is meant to, you know, shape and guide the child in the external world. But the mother is the one that nurtures and builds the body of the child. And part of that is through the transmission of nutrition. And biological memory, immunity, in the form of immunity, I'm unity, immunity, <laughs> unifying the baby with the breast milk. And that in many cultures and traditions, this is uh, this process, it's crucial to this process for the mother to consume the placenta after the birth of the child, placentophagy. Not only that, but leave the placenta attached until it transfers all of its life force to the baby and falls off on its own. But then secondarily, the mother can assist herself with postpartum depression and weakness by consuming the placenta. So dad says, your mother's not feeling well, just like postpartum depression and weakness. So she, it's just you and me this year, buddy. So yeah, if the mom doesn't eat the placenta, all that mem or in her body doesn't transfer to the baby through the milk. Uh, <laughs> and like, just to drive the point home, they actually show, oh, there's three Coke bottles. There's a Trinity for you. Yeah, uh, I noticed the, the three Coke bottles. And the other thing before you get off this slide is <clears throat> this had a very Crowley thing to me too. It, uh, because when he blows out the candles, he blows them out all but one, meaning he didn't finish the ritual. He didn't complete it. This is where all, everything starts to go to shit. Wow. Because he didn't, because he didn't finish it. Like Crowley. He didn't do the know, right, right. Right, right. Exactly. With the Abermelon ritual, right? Wow. You gotta, 
you got to finish it. That is super interesting. And because uh, can you guys flesh out what, what that Crowley lore is? Cause I'm actually not familiar. Is this like Loch Ness monster lore? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of the, the idea is he ended up being, you know, broken and a drug addict, uh, which we all know he did. And essentially is because he was a drug addict and started getting paranoid and, and he wouldn't finish the, the uh, actual, you know, he was setting off this like the long game and everything he was leading up to. But at the end, he started just getting sloppy and not finishing him because he'd get, uh, I mean, he's fucking having orgies out in the desert, man. Like, of course, he's going to be like, and, and they're all on, all on drugs. So, of course, they're not going to pick apart the details and stuff because they yeah, don't care. Those, <laughs> those orgies have a lot to do with the uh, anal cunt. <laughs> Mr. Putnam. Mr. Putnam. <laughs> the magic is in the butt, according to him. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, at any rate, that's the lore. Oh, and yeah, placenta. By the way, the sure. Greek word placenta means cake. Birthday cake. There it is. Totally. Totally. Uh, so, yeah, that's a great point, Gordy. I love that you said that, that the ritual was incomplete. And because, because uh, the legend is that because uh, Crowley never completed the Abramelin ritual, uh, he got called in, uh, in on, into, t- into town too early, that because of that, he never closed the gate. And that the Loch Ness monster was the result uh, because he was on Loch Ness when he was doing his Abermelon ritual. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of information around that strange fact. I just heard today some people uh, making the claim that the ritual had been tainted and that somebody had given him an, uh, what's supposed to be like a 18 month long process. They gave him like the how to do it in six months, like the condensed version. And that while he was trying to do the express process, he discovered that it was a poisoned cup. It was no good. It was booby trapped. And that he aborted the mission because he began to suspect that the person who gave him the translations gave him a bad translation. And that nowadays there's some more, uh, genuine articles of the same process that source instead of from France that they can, they've got a new source for the Abermelon ritual coming out of Germany, supposed to be the real deal Holyfield, but that's, that's just, that's interesting. I love that you pointed that out. So it's uh, 10 candles. He blows out nine of them and his father blows out the last one. And so that's a one and a nine is a sun card. Uh, and he's his, dad, you know, he's his father's son. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's kind of the missing piece. Like um, you have the two missing, uh, the empty chairs at the table and you have the, the uh, extra candle candle is the missing piece for the, the brother that's good. That's call. Gone. Yes. And there's also a, a bottle of alcohol, a decanter right behind the candle that does not blow out. The, the decanter is by the candle. Oh, and yeah. sure enough, in uh, a couple scenes later, you're going to see mom uh, the, going around the house, lamenting the lost spirit of her son, uh, carrying the spirits in her hand uh, in service to alcohol, which Algol is in uh, Aries, where the sun card is located. 
she becomes like Medusa. She's uh, getting stoned all the time, carrying the alcohol around. Great weave here. Great weave. And the birthday suit, I sent you a, a clip of almost the same image, Chance, comparing his white suit on his birthday here to uh, Mr. Moon Knight in his uh, Steve, Stephen variation. So you can kind of see that birthday suit and the placenta cake all having all the placenta magic built into it. Very good. And yeah, that alcohol point is great. And it comes up in a few other ways too. And what do people do? Why, why do people drink alcohol who are alcoholics? It's usually to drown out their sorrowful memories. They're struggling with remembering stuff they don't want to remember. They drink to obliterate that. So it's kind of like the opposite of water. <laughs> it's interesting that the ancients understood that water can hold memory. Why else would mem be the Hebrew word for water or letter that represents water, right? There's a lot of other reasons to suggest that they understood that water holds memory. But alcohol is the opposite in the sense that when you get drunk, you're you're basically diluting the water in your body to the point where if you blackout drunk, you don't remember anything because the water is not vibrationally um, coherent enough. It's too diluted that you become diluted (laughs) and you don't remember and something else takes over and we'll point that out later too, how that happens. But just in case we didn't think that the birthday cake was important, when she's walking around lamenting the lost spirit and drinking the spirits in the next scene, he's now 12 and it's his birthday and he's got a birthday cake again. So placenta cake all day, people all day, big time, big time. It's lost inheritance. Yeah. I love the fact that that we got that one nine, Gives us the 19th card is the sun card where Al Gol, the eye of Medusa, is located. And here we have his mom getting all pissed off, acting ugly. And we have corn on the table again, too, by the way. Oh, the the right in the center place. Nice. So I sent you I sent you another one, Chance. This one uh, I've been sitting on for a while. I put this together. That's it. The mammary glands. The mammary glands. The memory, mammary glands. Yeah. Memory, so good. mammary glands. So. Oh, and, it, and also even like mammals. Mammals, mammals, mammals have better memory than other animals. <laughs> because all other mammals eat the placenta. They are still in the garden. They're still in the garden. They're in dream time. And we've been kicked out because uh, we're not any, she ate it. Uh, so I sent that I sent you one that I put together quite a few months back. This is the executive producer's name, and when and it flashes on every episode, but I just can't. Oh yeah, he's the executive producer of all the Marvel stuff. Yes. So his name it has the uh, the K is the king, the crown, the vein. Is the you know this is the Merovingian bloodline? This is you know this is the Holy Grail mystery. Uh, I'm pretty sure the placenta is the centerpiece of it all. And then his last name is Phagy, 
which is uh, relates to this placenta phagy process we're talking about, which I believe, you know, maybe yep. not the first phage, generation. Phage means that which consumes. Yeah. Right. And it may oh. take a couple uh, generations for it to catch on, but I'm pretty sure like the memory of the elders is instilled in the equipment, in the luggage, you know, in the full estate that you came in. And so this is just a printout of, uh, you know, some information about the zygote and the placenta and how it does have a lot of immune uh, values. But also I want to point out the image here is from a well. It's from inside of a cave looking up at that sickle of the moon. And it has a cutting aspect, uh, the cutting away of the wall, uh, the cell walls of the place you came in on. All that is brilliant. <laughs> Very good. And I got a little distracted because uh B Hoff in the chat here reminded me of something I wanted to point out, but lost <laughs> after I took my notes and I did my preparation all the rest of the day, just stuff was popping up in my mind. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. But tomorrow, uh, 18 or 19 degrees Taurus. I don't remember which he says 19. I thought I heard 18, but you know, not maybe I guess it's very relevant, but uh, Mars and Uranus are conjunct the North Node, 18 or 19 degrees Taurus. Whoa. Mars and Uranus conjunct, you know, is one thing, but also to conjunct North Node. North Node, the nodes are referring to the moon, first of all. And then in a birth chart, the North Node is the difficult place that you're meant to go but it will challenge you like your destiny um whereas the south node is like the easy comfortable place you're coming from where everything comes naturally and easily but is also your comfort zone and thus kind of dangerous so mars <laughs> mars we've been talking about mars mark here mark and uh steven mars and uranus coming together to complete their north node destiny it's very interesting that that alignment is happening when we're t talking about this point in the show where they, these two characters align. I mean, Uranus is related to all kinds of things that you would consider liquidy or watery, flowy, uh, freedom related. <laughs> but Uranus, the shadow of Uranus is like technocratic communism. The Fair. positive side of Uranus is like freedom and independence and uh, individuality. So, you know, to really assert their individuality or Mark to <laughs> Mark and Steven to assert who they really are individual. It may sound like paradoxical to say that them kind of integrating, but still acting together as two different parts of a whole is them being individual because they're still like two or twins, but individual Think about the, the word individual means not divided indivisible individual basically the same word so this integration <laughs> moment you know uh shoot man that's a really good reminder thank you behoff and he also pointed out that yeah. the last alignment in this way was in 324 bc when the astro theological allegory for the sun that is remembered as a, some kind of true historical figure called Alexander the Great. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't know that I think he's real, but uh, the world does. 
And he was supposedly the one who established the Hellenistic Helen Helios Elios. The Greeks would not aspirate the H. The letter that we get from Greek is that looks like an H is Eta. And it would transliterate as E-T-A, Eta. So the Hellenistic era is the L, Hellenistic era. You know, Helios is Elios. Helios is Eleusinian, right? All these words are referring to the same thing. So anyway, the cult of hell was established three centuries into uh, before the the turn from B.C. to A.D. Uh, So very interesting, very interesting alignment indeed. I'm excited to hear Kaylee talk about that maybe tomorrow on oh wait she said she might not be doing her <laughs> moon day tarot shoot i'll ask her for notes if she's not doing a live stream maybe i'll do a uh a tarot live stream for everybody because i love Sweet. that shit yeah that sounds like a, a deep weave i dig it yeah that's a deep weave not random at all behoff i wanted actually to bring that up so thank you for reminding remembering the uh, Mars Uranus North node conjunction. There's so much we could say about that. Taurus, the mother, <laughs> like so much that the, that alignment relates to what we're talking about this episode in like ridiculous levels of syncretism, hugely important. weave, not random at all. Much appreciated. Be So before we go off too far, I, I said just this little side weave is he pronounces his name Feige. Uh, Kevin Feige, and he was installed after Avi Arad. When Avi Arad was, he was kind of uh, running Marvel's media uh, back in the day, running it into the ground, and it completely sucked. Um, and it wasn't until um, Iron Man that, uh, uh, what is his name? The guy that directed uh, um, Elf. Um, directed Iron Man and kind of revamped the thing. That's why uh, Disney was all up in arms about get grabbing everything Marvel did. And John Favreau, Favreau, John Favreau. Thank you. Yeah. And which kind of sat them in the Disney belt. And that's where the takeover happened Um, between they kind of installed Kevin Feige and kind of set uh, Avi Arad off to the side, which was probably a good move. They were making garbage back then. But, um, um, and stories were, were really suffering because we had, you know, you know, early 2000s Marvel was just, you know, we got the first. Uh, John Favreau was also the actor who plays Happy Hogan in the Iron Man series and also in the uh, Spider-Man, the newer Spider-Man movies, by the way. Right. Actor and director just interject with a random factoid. Who was also a chef who trained himself as a chef. Um, so where are we in the story? Sounds like we, a cool I, guy. I know. Right. I, I, right. I forgot <laughs> about Moon Knight. What the hell? <laughs> no, right. Exactly. Okay, so where, where we're we? at, where we're at. Interesting that, we just brought up the alignment that or conjunction that also matches the establishment of the Hellenistic era, according to mainstream history, because we now get a flash forward in the memory stream to Mark as a teenager leaving, or maybe a young adult leaving. And his father, by the way, 
We were talking Eleusinian, Eleusinian, Hellenes, Helens, Ellens, El. His father's name is Elias. Elias. <laughs> I heard, I saw your mouth, Gabriel, and you went, wow. I know you. <laughs> you were muted. Though. That's amazing. Yeah. Elias. The lies of L. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> like the lies. I dig yeah. that. I dig it. And then uh, it, just a strange note uh, in uh, is in the background, that little poster, it's got a person falling into a hole. Like it's two feet sticking out and a person falling into a hole while he's I saying, I, I can't lose another son. Oh, wow. <laughs> The symbolism of the dark cave falling into the cave, all of that. Brilliant. That's a good one. I, I don't have a screenshot of the guy falling in the hole behind him, but that is very good. Uh, okay, so another flash forward to now. Mark is a grown up mercenary who, speaking of Fagy, Fugy, <laughs> Feige, whatever, uh, he says he gets kicked out of the army because he keeps going into fugue states. And then we see this very traumatic moment where, and I'm sorry, the screenshot is a little dark, but this is the moment where we find out Mark was with the mercenary team who was going after some Egyptian artifacts or something. And the leader of this mercenary team killed the guy's name was Kyle Bushman, I think uh, kills all of these hostages and Mark, uh, tries to stop them, but he gets fa- fatally wounded in the process. But while they're looking at all these corpses and bodies, um, we point out that this is Layla's father who was killed in this attack too, Dr. L. Fooley. They specifically say his name is pronounced Fooley. So I happen to have a mind blowing sink and I'm just going to draw it out a little bit. Okay. So. <laughs> That's why we're here, man. This is what we're here for. (laughs) Thank you for helping me. Yeah. As I was getting to this point, you know, clipping screenshots, taking notes, and I saw this L. Fooley, I was like, holy shit, Dr. L. Fooley, this is the fool. And it was 22 minutes into the episode, is exactly where it's at. 22 is the fool card. We just hit two two hours and 22 minutes. minutes. Yeah, we're two hours and 22 minutes right now. Right now? (laughs) What the hell? Not playing. (laughs) (laughs) So we got the 22 showing up twice, 222. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. So the fool card could be the zero card or the 22 card. The fool completes his cycle and then dies and resurrects. This is the point of the tarot. It's an eternal return. So at this point, we see the death of the fool, right? Dr. L. Fooley. L means the, (laughs) the fool. And, oh, we got the red scarf with a scarab on it. The red scarf. This is not the first time somebody has died with a red scarf on. We already kind of covered the red scarf symbolism. We won't rehash that, but the fool is dying or dead. The the fool is the soul. I mean, in some tarot decks, the F in fool is actually an S, soul. Soul is the sun. So the fool, that's why the, the sun or the fool is both the zero and the 22. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of two, here's this nice entrance to uh 
kind of framed by two pillars in a, in a way, entrance to another dark cave symbol. The fool who is Mark wounded fatally, crawling in here uh, to die, basically. So this is the moment where the fool or the soul in its underworld cycle dies and resurrects. So we have seen this dying and resurrecting motif in Mark's life repeatedly. This is a cycle. It's an eternal return. I find that, you know, very fascinating <laughs> because all of these different sun gods, whether it's the cave of Brahm or Jesus like dying and resurrecting in a cave in an underworld cycle, it's replete throughout the whole solar deity motif. So he dies in here or he's going to die in here. And just to like drive the point home, Trinity, (laughs) you know, three three lights, three Three days days in the cave. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, also while you were on that last image, I counted the steps. I'm pretty sure I counted 28 steps total. 28 steps. Uh, where were these? Oh, here. Yeah. No, no, there's, so, there's 33. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course there are. Which is at the age of Christ when he dies. Nice. Nice. You know. Uh, but 28 would be good. That's a Saturn return. But that's yeah. that's a Masonic thing, clearly. Uh, right. Thirty-three vertebrae in the spine. There you go. Yeah. Thirty-three is the point where water goes from frozen to liquid. Yep. Uh, so just at their feet here, before they come in the cave, there's a uh, like a, a machine gun in the sand as they're tracking him. You can tell by the tracks that he's crawling, and there's a uh, there's a, a ARM. There's an arm. And he just got done, you know, doing battle. Uh, and they are in the sand. So there's very much a lot. There's a lot of Mars uh, integrated into some of the symbology of this. And he's about to put a gun under his own, under his chin. So he's yeah. practicing his right to bear arms. Uh, he's so marred. Yeah. He's marred with a wound. And also a gun is a classic phallus reference as well. So, you know, he lost his lost his arm, his gun. Osiris with the missing phallus type deal. But yeah, this is the sun. Here they are. Creator, destroyer, redeemer, trinity symbol. Uh, Here's this staff, but with the pointed beak. This looks a lot like a scythe, you know, back to the whole Kansu moon, Saturn matrix, Grim Reaper thing that I was talking about earlier uh and also looks like an ads tool similar not completely but it's a seven shape you know there's sort of a symbolic seven here Ooh, kind of looks like an entero bang too like a question mark with a exclamation in the middle yeah yeah i dig that i love the entero bang 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 entero bang 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 Yeah, so if he's being reborn here as a, you know, Kansu says he's in search of a warrior. If he's being reborn here as a warrior, and we're seeing this symbolism of Kansu being death or Saturn, Grim Reaper thing. Well, again, back to that 
MW phonetic switch. You know, a warrior is a marrier. Mar, more, mar and more are the O and the A are pretty interchangeable too. So basically a warrior is a Mars your, <laughs> which is another way of saying death, a death's man. You know, he's becoming death's man. I find that interesting. Uh, <laughs> and he says, and here, see this light splitting. This light beam is split, fractured. And it's sort of two pillars type thing. He is saying here, your mind, I feel it fractured, broken. Well, MK Ultra, MK Moon Knight requires the fracturing of the mind, you know, and that has to be done through trauma, like the trauma of getting nearly, nearly dead from shot up. So there's that too. And he almost commits suicide. That's a good point, Gabriel. That's actually, I didn't grab a screenshot of that, but that's what he's about to do when he hears the voice of Kansu in his head. Right. And that's the scene where I think that they were alluding back to in the first one where he take he takes the, the uh, obelisk or the, the glass uh, stabby, the glass pyramid dagger. He's, he's not going after them. He's going after himself. And it's the same movement when they show him, he's, he's trying to, to pull the, the uh, pistol up to his chin. And that's when Kansu starts controlling him. That's interesting. It makes me think again, that we might, he He's might be actually him. looking at Jake, like in that moment of mm. the ultimate trauma. I believe that Jake, like in all of the ugliest moments, I think we're we're actually seeing Jake come forward, and maybe that is what Kanchu was really looking at. He's like, if this guy's so broken that he's willing to kill himself, that's what the kind of thing I need. So maybe it's Jake. Uh, Lockley that he's really uh, interested in just a thought. Well, that is pretty apparent actually, <laughs> especially when you go back and rewatch it. But the, uh, the final scene when Jake is finally revealed, it seems like J- that's the one Conchu is really rolling with <laughs> rolling with Jake. So at this point I wanted to bring up the God men. Okay. Because men comes into mind with the word mind and moon and mayonnaise, not mayonnaise, what you put on a sandwich, but mayonnaise, like hand (laughs) fist of vengeance that he calls, uh, you know, right. So the God men is a fertility God, a harvest God, a black God. Depicted in black, like Krishna or Osiris, many, many, many Adonis. I mean, the list of gods depicted in black that are dying and resurrecting solar deities. Fertility has everything to do with that because fertility is a yearly cycle. It requires the black soil to be well populated with the uh, the fertilizer and the carcasses of things that are breaking down for the new life to be born. But men. He is, again, that's fertility god Tarwet, who we already saw as a fertility goddess. Uh, the Greeks associated men with Pan. There's even a temple dedic- in Egypt dedicated to men that, 
think it's called like the, I think it's called Dendara. It might be another temple. I'm, there's a lot. I only have so much room in my memory banks, apparently. But <laughs> there's a temple dedicated to men in Egypt that the original name for, but not what the Egyptologists give us as its name, was Tantara. Like Tantra. So this is important because a lot of what the Hebrew language is God is coming from the Egyptian Arabic language, Coptic language. And a lot of what the Egyptians have got going on is coming from the Indian. <laughs> India was called Ethiopia. It means black. Uh, <laughs> Egypt was called Kemet, which means black. Chem is also close to the Hebrew word ham, like Abraham. Ham meaning darkness or black. Abraham, Abram, Brahma. Abram means in Hebrew high father, the high father of darkness. So I just find it fascinating that this men who is sometimes a consort to Isis, which means sometimes he's the father of Horus as a, and thus would be an aspect of Osiris would also be called Amen men, Amen men, Amen meaning also an aspect of Amen, the hidden one hidden. Well, what hides or conceals or shrouds blackness, darkness. So there he is also like, let's just get a good zoom in on his, on men's member. <laughs> and uh, notice here too, that flanking men are two female deities. One with the wadjet like serpent crown and one with the solar disc crown. Just like Osiris has Isis and Nephthys. Men, I don't know who these goddesses are supposed to be, but men is flanked by two females as well. Who else is flanked by two females when they're in the darkness of the cave, especially? Jesus has Mary and Martha. In fact, an alternate names for Isis and Nephthys are Mary, M-E-R-I, and Merti, M-E-R-T-I. Merti sounds a lot like Mort, which is a word for death. So. A lot of syncretism there to throw out. Even here on, like right next to him on this carving, you have this echidna starfish, five-pointed Venusian star thing going on. So, so much there. Even his their little chin beard makes me think of a phallus, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Totally. That makes me think of, uh, we did this on the uh, on the mirror episode, but, you know, so you can, you take the word uh, resurrection, and we do have an erection involved here, <laughs> but you can take the S because S is, uh, were F's in ancient type, ancient scripts. They would interchange. It was the same symbol S and F. And so you can take like the fool and soul. Yep. Yep. So you can take the S and make it a F and you can take the R of resurrection. So now you have ref election and you take and right, ref erection, <laughs> and you turn the R into an L, which is also allowable, and you get reflection instead of resurrection, uh, which between two mirrors, uh, you have a perpetual and eternal uh, uh, reflection. And a resurrection, because the light just bounces back eternally. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Nice weave. Very nice. And then, you know, back to that full soul thing. Well, the sun rises, right? But soul also means solo, 
Solus, the alone one. And when Mark enters this cave, he is alone. You know, he's all one, all alone. And just like, <laughs> you know, Aries is anagram for a rise. He rises to live again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's some rise and evil again. Yeah. There's a, some right hand path uh, aspects here. You know, he's about to blow his cap. And instead, he do, chooses to uh, rise to the occasion and, uh, you know, saves himself, comes his own savior. Yeah, Mark uh, is kind of the right-hand path character, right? Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. And, like, guys, I'm not kidding about this whole Christos, Krishna <laughs> metaphor. Here he is. He rises again. Is have we seen this pose before? <laughs> yes, it's the, like the opposite of when he just got shot from Harrow in the uh, couple episodes back. Now he's uh, apotheosized. And he's almost got like the two thieves on the left and right. You can almost say that the two conchus are, I mean, one is sort of in the middle, but it's like having one on the left side and the right side. Makes me think of the two thieves uh, next to Christ on the cross. Great point. Yeah. One in the dark, one in the light. One is repentant and one is not. I dig that. Brilliant. Okay. So after yeah, we even all this. One, is, one is cardinal and one is mutable. You know, there's the statue that is not, not about to change in the living or the animated, which is, would be mutable. I wait. Mm-hmm. Dig it. Wouldn't, um, isn't the the Christ in the middle of the cardinal? Uh, no, I think part, he's fixed. Um, well, car, cardinal fire is Aries, and Aries is the Lamb of God, the Most High, the High Ram. And so I kind of want to say that it's also cardinal, like in Latin, the word cardia, where they get the word cardinal for their college of cardinals. Cardia in Latin means hinge, like the opener of the way, opener of the gate, psychopomp, transition, doorway, Janus, Druid means door, yada, yada. And, uh, you know, fixed and mutable makes sense here because fixed is like literally fixed, a statue, and mutable is this animated moving one. But Cardinal, um, you know, he's between them. He's the hinge between them, I would say, <laughs> not to like be contrarian here but i think that that is the symbolism of the christ and the two thieves but i mean i wasn't even thinking about cardinal mutable fixed when i saw this and you definitely see that in depicted here big time yeah i think of the thief who is not repentant as fixed or i'm sorry as cardinal is he's he's driven he's not about to change Christ is fixed. He's on a the sign of a crucifix is the fixed sign. And then the thief who is willing to change his ways is mutable. But yeah. And Mark is fixed. He's been, he's been repaired. He's, he's apotheosized. <laughs> but it's the statue that fixed him. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. 
Awesome though. Okay. We'll move forward after that. We're done with flashbacks into the past and they come back out to the deck of the boat. And there is no explanation for this given by the show, but when they open the doors and come out onto the deck into the duet with Tarouette, there are baboons running around. Well, I happen to know that Tahuti or Thoth is represented in statuary as a baboon quite frequently. So are they telling us that this is actually Thoth? Like an aspect of Thoth? And I mean, it makes sense to me. This is, she's psychopomping the shit out of this. <laughs> she's weighing their hearts on the feather. She's their guide. You know, she's the one communicating between the worlds in the next episode when she actually communicates with Layla in the living world to progress the plot forward and allow them to return, be reborn, yada, yada. So these baboons are no accident. I know it's kind of a dark screenshot, but you can tell that's a red ass. Yeah, Definitely man. a baboon. <laughs> it makes me think of like uh, racing thoughts. You know, in the heat of the, in the emergent moment, your thoughts. The monkey mind. Are racing. Yeah, totally. That's a good one. Yeah. Never really thought about that being the reason why thought, thought would be represented as a baboon in some cases and as an ibis in other cases. Higher mind, lower mind, baby. Higher thoughts, lower thoughts. Monkey mind. Yeah. So. Okay, so at this point, um, there is one more memory that they have to go back to because the scales are still not balanced. And at this point, like basically Mark wants or Stephen wants to be taken up to the bedroom, uh, to Mark's bedroom as a child. And Mark's like total freak out mode, total rejection of truth, you know, total denial. <laughs> I think here, no, 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 denying Christ three times, that whole thing. You guys got anything on that? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, yeah, no, no, no. Interesting how no is on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is this is the, the whole union thing, though. You, you have to, uh, and the alchemy, that, that whole uh, um, idea of, Spiritual alchemy is burning out, you know, burning out those mental uh, traumas to repair yourself. And we'll get to that, too, when uh, when uh, we lose Stephen. The balance has to happen. Yeah. Or Stephen. Sacrifice. After the no, 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 his denial lands him back into a fantasy reality where Harrow is his doctor on the left-hand side. He's looking to his left, left left-hand path. Um, You know, he's rejecting the truth. This is his moment of truth. This is his separating of the wheat from the chaff moment. And I'm surprised at us that this whole, whole series, we actually never pointed out that the name Harrow Harrow as a word means tribulation and tribulation means this uh, separating wheat from chaff, a threshing. And at this moment of the threshing of the harrowing, the tribulation, the truth that he's rejecting in this threshing 
is that his mama gave him a thrashing. (laughs) So it's like amazingly Mm. poignant that this is the point where I remembered to point out the meaning of the name Harrow. After all this time, guys, this is the big reveal. (laughs) Harrow (laughs) is the thrashing that his mom gives him. Uh, But before we get there, before we get there, this mem, you go ahead, Gabriel. Oh, well, I I was just going to point out that um, now somehow he is not scarred. His, his nose is not bleeding. So this is kind of an indication to us that this office is a mental construct, that the, this office is part of the organizing principle because it, uh, can be so easily altered uh, that he's no longer rocking that scar that Jake was rocking the last time he was in this, in this room. And like dreams, you know, the looks like the furniture has moved. Like they're, they're on the other side of the, of the desk together now. And which just goes to show that, you know, the, the setup of the, the design of the set is for that purpose to look like it's breaking down. Just like dreams, when you look back at, you know, the trick of remembering your dreams or or lucid dreaming is look at your hands because it's the one thing that'll be fixed, you know, in your dreams. Your dreams, it's, you know, we're trying to make this order out of the chaos that's in our heads. And when you start to realize it, you start to choose what's true, you know. It, uh, um, it, you start to get your control back. You, you start to realize, oh, okay, this is true. This is not, oh, I can change this. And once you start to realize you can do that in your dreams, like there's not a whole lot of difference in the real life and dreams in that, like everybody keeps loving to throw this simulation term out there and the whole whole thing of of mental construct and we live in a simulation and whatever so uh here's an interesting screenshot that i didn't take notes on but i just want find that uh, maybe i would get it later and i think i do now so first of all this kind of appears to be towerette in the statue, it looks like a hippo head. But Mark asked if he was drugged. And Harrow lies to him and says, we can't involuntarily sedate patients. So that reference to sedating him has to do with a particular type of uh, needle with a pointy end mm-hmm. with some drugs in it that gets stuck in his neck. And, and gaslights him by saying, oh, you've watched too many movies. <laughs> Bingo. And, but it, what I noticed about this shot is where I have the circled this I never see I never have seen this thing on his table in any other shot what is that why is it here all of a sudden and it's very subtle it looks like a worm looks like a little parasitic worm while they're talking about sedating patients while they're talking about gaslighting about needles in bodies is this like a little guilty admission of what happens to be in those particular syringes that they're gaslighting us about here? Wow. 
Wow, man. <laughs> that is creepy. It's really it's creepy. I, I, this is not in any other shot. What is this? Damn. That is creepy AF. Yeah. Nailed it. And I think this is a towerette or, or Sekhmet, but probably looks like a hippo shaped head. Could be Amit though, because this is Harrow's office. Maybe that's a croc, like a, a gator mouth, croc mouth, I guess, not gator. <laughs> Alpha warrior bringing it. The freaky worm thing from the matrix. Yeah. yeah. It looks it. just like that, dude. Looks just like that. What's up, Mike Winter? Awesome. <laughs> I feel oh, like right. Mark watching this episode wondering what is actually real or not. Now both in the show and in reality. So meta bros. Assuming <laughs> that's the same Mike Winter as Alpha Warrior. Yeah. You know, uh, one, one one observation when he says we're not allowed to sedate patients without their permission, that he might be sidestepping the fact that it was in the paperwork when he got signed in. That they got permission already. Ooh. When they, when he signed into the uh, into the whatever into the psych ward, just a thought that it was you know in the terms of the agreement that he didn't read the full contract. That's a good call, or that they can't do it to the living man, but they can do it to the person. Ooh, nice, nice. That could be a part of it too. So, this next shot. Harrow is praising him for reliving all these traumatic memories. And as he's doing so, specifically, right as he says memories, he's pouring glasses of water. Mem is the Hebrew word for water. And over here, okay, this is super important because trauma creates a schism. This is two triangles and upward uh, a blade and a chalice, okay? This is a blade and the chalice that are separated and inverted, putting the chalice above the blade, so to speak. You're supposed to bring these together. And so this represents the separation of the mother and father or the masculine and the feminine, the pain of separation, the schism, which is also symbolic of the left-right schism in the, in the brain, the schism between Mark and Stephen. And, um, you know, the real madness <laughs> is when the real madness in life and suffering in life is when you cannot see the pater, potter, pata pattern in the matter mother. You know, it, if you put the if you put the matter over the potter, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> maybe that's where they call the other way around the missionary position. <laughs> but if you put the <laughs> if you put matter over spirit, you know, then you will suffer from madness. Madre has the same root. Mad, damn, damned, dame. All these words pertain. <laughs> Unintentional rhyme. So when you bring these triangles together, you get back to the Jewiness of all this, the Star of David, where some of the pattern is outside of the matter, the top triangle. And then there's the four elements around it, which are sort of transcendental. And it's around this hex or six or carbon. And then some of the matter below is outside of the pattern, meaning like some of the pattern is going to be transcendent of the material world, the pat, the father above heaven, whatever. 
And then some of the matter is going to resist or deviate from the pattern. And that's the below. That's the hell. But here we have full separation uh, of them. <laughs> and interestingly, like this remind this middle diamond shape, which is like a con convex looks a lot, kind of like an open mouth, a maw, a maw, nice. <laughs> the dark maw of yeah. all this. Yeah. So, so the reason I bring up this chalice and blade symbolism too, is because he's pouring a cub. Uh, okay. Go ahead, Gabe, go ahead. Well, one thing I'm just now seeing is that the mirror in the corner is covered just like a Shiva. Oh, Shiva. There's a blanket over the sh- over the mirror, which as he's talking about memories being so painful, there is a bit of a hearkening to the Shiva that he couldn't even attend to. That oh, is my, Mike just blew my mind. It's also this shape is also an hourglass. Hourglass. Nice. A Horus glass. I mean the glass table. He's pouring a glass of water. There's a glass blade. All of the glass of this. So, of course, that's an hourglass. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. That is brilliant. Can't believe I missed that. This is why we got these chatters. Y'all are so good. So, Chance, real quick, while we're on the hourglass in the harsh memories, can you bring up the one I just sent to you in the telly? Uh, Because this, uh, and I I totally poached this from one of those breakdowns, but I couldn't help myself because it is gravy, gravy. That set... The room that he's in when he's getting the psychological evaluation, it's the exact same room they used in episode, I think, two, where they go into a room full of cadavers. And these are all the dead bodies. Uh, This is hearkening to uh, the body count, to Mark's body count. And that is the same room. They just painted it white and redesigned it for for the shrink's uh office dude you got a great eye man that is an amazing <laughs> observation dog <laughs> great because i was i was seeing that stupid thing in and the he's mark the in the white room and he's steven in the black room by the way right and this is where he jumps through the glass this is where he gets in the fight with the with the 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 dog and they go crashing through the glass so it's just so apropos that he's saying it's so hard to relive these memories. That's the initiation. When he gets the suit, is him busting through the glass and accepting the truth. Nice, nice. Where he calls the suit. Mm-hmm. He takes the power. He takes the power back onto himself. Yeah, Alpha Warrior gave us sure, a different dude. kind of brain. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do you think I try to get him on as many shows as I can reasonably ask for? <laughs> Gordy too, though, man, you two are my main bros. You know, my Gordy stepped up and ch- chatted with me and winner on that last vibrant while you were playing yeah, buddy. Potter duty. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was in the background on that one too. I had half an ear in the, in the mix. That was a good show. And Mike, Again, I can't believe I missed the hourglass of that symbol because the next thing Harrow says while he's pouring his glass of water, you've been at it for hours. <laughs> yeah, <you've laughs> Apparently he's from the 70s. Yeah, uh, in a minute, 
there's a, a joke about that, but we'll save it. And in five minutes, we'll be at three hours. Well, yes, we will. So he pours a glass of water and then we brings up, uh, Harrow brings up Steven while Mark is looking at his face in the reflection of the water. So this, this makes me think of like, we're talking about time. Uh, we're looking at the emanations of the water, the rings in the water. This totally makes me think of the uh, polar symbolism. And we even have a nose hole, uh, one, an eye in the sky, a nose hole here. Uh, very much makes me think of the uh, Saturn sat at the North Pole uh, in the whole Saturnian cosmology uh, configuration because he's about to go into a trance and start to re- return to the vision quest uh, as he stares at his reflection here, as he reflects into his memories of this glass. This is a really interesting question. Uh, do you think you created Stephen, or do you think Stephen created Mark to punish the world? Oh, to punish the rest of the quote is to punish the world for all the terrible things your mother did. So this is the pseudo Gnostic allegory here. I say pseudo Gnostic because in Gnosticism, in my opinion, like the true Gnosis, true Gnosticism recognizes the entire concept of Sophia, Demiurge, Yaldabaoth, etc. as allegory. Allegory. <laughs> But the pseudo Gnostic thing that I believe most of these like wannabe controller, uh, fake ass busted mystery cults are stuck on is I think they take this literal. I think that they are literalists, dogmatists, believe the world is really an artificial playpen for a, uh, half aborted lion snake, Yaldabaoth. And it, when you believe that, and I know people who are my personal friends who believe that, but I'm sorry, man, that is a, that is, you're lost in the weeds if you believe that, because as soon as your glasses are on, <laughs> filtering reality through this idea that nature, the world is fake and fallen in a prison, well, you, there's, that's where you are. It's where you are. You're missing the beauty of the pattern of it all. Yeah, and the real, real gnosis is recognizing the pattern. But the reason this is a big Gnostic allegory is because if Stephen created Mark to punish the world for the terrible things your mother did, well, Mark is Leo, the lion. And Sophia did metaphorically a terrible thing by creating without the, you know, she created without the masculine principle. That's sort of the allegory of the, the uh, demiurge. When the feminine creates without the masculine principle, you get a, uh, you know, half, half deranged controller type entity, demonic lion snake, yell the bath guy. So that's the demiurge of the allegory. Demiurge, by the way, means craftsman, which is interesting. So that's like the lower mind or the setting nature, uh, Right. So that's why I think that that's all Gnostic allegory, the whole Stephen created Mark to punish the world, because that's kind of what the Demiurge allegorically does is <laughs> there are so many 
like the whole watcher's idea and the the karen of the Arabic spiritual traditions, the the uh, scribe, the spiritual scribe that follows you around and records all of your deeds and sends them back to the demiurge. This is Santa Claus keeping a list and checking it twice. Satan Claus. <laughs> so that's like a lot to say, but you got you want to weigh in anybody before we jump to the the final flashback? Yeah, well, I I think it's really awesome we're having this conversation tonight because earlier today I was listening to Clint Richardson and I got to actually uh, talk to him firsthand and. Uh, we were discussing uh, simulation and simulacrum by Jean Baudrillard, and he just briefly brushed up on it, and um, and I was able to kind of prompt him into getting a little deeper on the on the discussion. And it turns out Clint Richardson is really thinking about doing a presentation on how. Uh, you know, Baudrillard was on board for the Matrix Part One, but he saw where they were taking that that his concept in taking people and leading them right over a cliff, taking it way too far. And the Matrix is a good tool, a good implement for discussing these Gnostic ideas. There are a, there's a lot of value in it, but people take it, like you said, way too literally. And Baudrillard walked off said, fuck this, you guys are steering this ship way too far over the cliff. You're going to lead these people, just like Legion, <laughs> off the edge. They're going to take it way too far, and they really have, just like you said. And Clint Richardson, he sees that that minutia, that fine detail, that there there is a simulation, uh, but it has everything to do with sovereignty and the paperwork and the two-dimensional realm. Uh, in there, it needs the simulation to be, is the paper C, papacy, yeah, right? false there, authority. Yes, and that is where the salvation that we're looking for from that, uh, from that, whatever the Yaldabaoth, which by the way is just basically Hydra in the as a minor decand of Leo. So when you combine Hydra and Leo, you get a Yaldabaoth. Uh, so it's just you know it's astrotheology yet again. Yep, and Heracles slays both of those beings, the Cleonian lion and the Hydra. Yep, and that is the kind of education that we all need to learn from Clint Richardson to master that Cleonian lion and walk in sovereignty in this in this realm. So it is. It is my homeboy. I wanted to catch that, but I was prepping all this gravy. Nice, nice. Yeah, it is crucial. You know, it gives us the tools to discuss the metaphorical aspect of the realm, but people are going way too far with it. And they really think that they're somewhere in a YouTube with hoses in their nose and tubes up their ass. Uh, and <laughs> none of this really matters. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, nihilism at the greatest apex of nihilism. Speaking of fun, Oh, LC King in the house, buddy, you should go back to the beginning. I actually recommend anybody that's late. Yeah. Start over. Meeting. This is possibly our best episode of uh, ever. <laughs> I feel like we're. I feel Let's just catch him up real quick. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the final flashback of going into the bedroom with a young 12 year old Mark. And I just thought it was funny that 
you know, while we're talking about, this is the point where Mark makes Steven up and we're talking about making shit up. And there happens to be a dinosaur next to an astronaut here. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, great chance. Yeah. Great freaking catch. So, so here we have, just briefly, we have a two-headed monster. That's Janice. We have Janice. We have the Ganesha right here. Totally. I love it. Great catch. So one, just real, uh, one quick pointer is that if we're in Chicago, um, we are in my territories map. We are pretty much looking due north. We're at the summer solstice. Um, and it has a lot to do with the, um, that Polaris and the, uh, the north, the plow, the turning of the plow, because there's two bears. There's the, uh, Ursa major, Ursa minor. It's the cubs. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to point that out that we're looking at that, uh, uh, in my territories work, we're looking at that, uh, summer solstice at that pinnacle. That's a good one. Yeah, and the two bears would be the, you know, the splitting, the division, the twins. Uh, Gemini. Here's the Gemini, the split of Gemini getting cut by the cancer. That's a great one. And there's a lot of chariot symbolism in here. He's got his bed is a car. There's a lot of chariot symbolism all through here as well. So Gemini and cancer. Yes. Yeah. The car of Deus or Deus, the dual god, Deuce. Before he was Zeus, he was Deuce. The Zeus is a Deuce. And, you know, referred to as a, there's a little bit of chat about Zeus creating Dionysus from his thigh and Athena from his head, but it's very obscure in the mythology, but Zeus was a man and a maid, actually. It was referred to as both. That hermaphroditic Hermes Aphrodite all of these, that's why the mythology is so damn confusing because a bunch of stories that were all allegory for the one being, which is symbolic in nature as the sun, but not literally the sun, first got corrupted into actually believe, being believed that it was the sun. And then second got corrupted and schismed into a whole bunch of characters thought to be separate. But the Trinity, Trimurti, mother, father, son, were always one. One being in three aspects, like in the old, old, old versions, Brahma, one of the oldest versions we know of, has multiple heads on the same guy, like this Janus here. I could go on all day about this shit, and I probably will for the rest of my life. (laughs) I have to to go on about the soul syncretism thing. It's all right. I guess it's my, I guess it's my lot. (laughs) But okay, so we see Mark hiding from his mother in the room. Lock the door, Janice, door, eh, eh, new year, Annis, Janice, this is a new year, as in the new child is being born, Stephen is being born, the new year, uh, some symbolism in this shot, we have a lion here next to Mark, and of course the mirror symbolism returns. And uh, a dog and a hare, Anubis, Hare Krishna, yada, yada. There's scales up here. Calling back to all that Libra symbolism with Harrow 
from the beginning with Harrow's tattoo and his cult. And then this is interesting. These nunchucks are here. Remind me a lot of um, what are called pharaoh cylinders, which are something, an Egyptian style artifact or implement that people still use today that are like uh, crystals or different conductive stones that are carved into cylinders that you, uh, you'll see them depicted in like carvings and statuary. Sometimes the being holding two cylinders, two columns, two pillars, you know, and uh, they're reused as like meditation tools or to conduct energy through the body doing movements like Qigong esque practices. So I think that that's maybe the nunchucks are kind of like Pharaoh cylinders and there's two of them next to the two scales. Find that interesting. Uh, jump in anytime guys, you know, or I'm just going to keep pushing forward. Well, yeah, uh, I dig. I love how you're rolling out the Zodiac here. That's great. Like you could say that uh, the, the child is uh, Gemini. He's about to do a split. He's about to split. And then in the mirror, in a second. He's even between two columns of dots, in a way. Yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in a Gemini sign. Good call, yeah. Then in the mirror, they'll show uh, the reflection of his bed, which is a car, um, of, which is a chariot, a cancer. It's red. And it has checkerboard white and black squares on it, too. Right, right, yeah. And then, like you said, we have Leo. And then the nunchucks are metallic. Which uh, Virgo is a Earth sign, and then Libra here with the scales. I love it. We have a zodiac rolling out for sure. Summer, we're looking at the summer, and we're going into a fall. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you made me up this big reveal. And then, as they're leaving the room, Wendy, the mother, comes in to beat the shit out of. Him with a belt after he's made up Stephen Grant from the movie poster and found this very, very interesting because like I've heard my mom say a lot of angry stuff to me. Not she's nothing like this mom, by the way. My mom's awesome, but I've never heard anybody's mom ever called them you disgusting human. And I just find that very fascinating and I'll say it once again, say it all the time that the Hugh man, Hugh is Bacchus. The monogram of Bacchus before the Latin termination of US was added would have just been one of the, one of the Greek names for Bacchus, Upsilon Eta Sigma, which transliterates into English as Hugh or you, you. As in like J-U with a soft J, U, Potter, Bacchus, or Hughes, the Hugh man. I believe the Hugh man is created when you hew the tree of life of the placenta from the baby. The Hugh man is not the same as the living man in this weird, freaky control cult that the priest class eventually devolved into. and also. Bacchus, back to the whole Libra symbolism. Libra sounds a lot like Libra. It happens to be 1111 right now. <laughs> That's pretty Libra. Uh, Libra Potter, was, or the Free Father, was a name for Bacchus. 
And, you know, what's in books is made up stuff usually. And this is a fictional story that they made up Stephen from kind of like a book. And uh, Bacchus relates to words that have to do with stream, the German word for stream, but also a Lieber being a book, but a Bach sounds like a book as well. So there's all that going on. I, I don't know why they would choose to have her say you disgusting human other than to make me think of right. Bacchus. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, me, I don't think that they're even, I really don't think most of the writers of this type of stuff are on that level of syncretism. Honestly, right. It's just there for us to pick out because like universe is throwing us a bone. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, one point, one thought, one thought is she's removing his humanity. In this moment, she is terrorizing his humanity out of him. She's, and she's hewing him into two. Right. She's dehumanizing him and, yeah, making, uh, bringing out that altar. She's altering him. And then Mark reveals that her, their mother is dead. And this whole time, Stephen has thought their mom is alive. He's been calling her on the phone and leaving her voicemails. And this was where I noticed the Shiva. I didn't really, I didn't really think about the Shiva. I didn't honestly know that Shiva was a Hebrew word referring to the number seven and also a funeral for an immediate family member. Fascinating. Mario needs to know about this. But back to the whole India, Ethiopia linkage to all things Hebrew, Egyptian, and uh, et cetera, and everything derived from those systems. Shiva is Obviously, the god of destruction in Hinduism and a member of the Trimurti or the Trinity of Hinduism. Shiva, Vishnu, Brahman. Vishnu, Vishnu, goldfish, <laughs> the new fish. Uh, Stephen is the goldfish, the new fish. Very interesting. Um, you know, some of the names for Shiva, Para, Brahman. Para, LR switch is Pala, Pala, Palace, Athena. Shiva has a lot of feminine qualities. Athena, Palace Athena is a war goddess. Interesting. Shiva is the supreme being, the god of ultimate reality, god of karma, moksha, which is the release from samsara, time, art, dance, yoga, meditation, the destroyer of all evil. So, you know. We have a Shiva in Hebrew mourning that which is lost. And Shiva is a God of destruction and ultimate reality. Are you like commending the soul of the lost being to Shiva? Hope praying for their moksha or release from samsara. Samsara, the flow of illusion. Saraswati, Sarah, Sarai, Brahman, Sarah, Abraham, Sarah, yada, yada. <laughs> All these systems are one thing. <laughs> if it's not clear. <laughs> yeah. So he reveals that. And then we snap back to the scene with Harrow. And right as uh, basically they're having a, a mirror moment because Mark had a freak out rejection of reality about going back to the bedroom. And then when Stephen finds out their mother is dead, he has a freak out rejection of reality and snaps back to this room. So. The same thing happens in reverse, kind of. And right as he snaps out of it and remembers, he empties his cup into the face of Dr. Harrow. So completing that, you know, blade and chalice metaphor, the blade being the masculine, 
Mark being the masculine, Mark wielding the blade earlier in the episode at Dr. Harrow, waving it at him threateningly. And now Stephen throwing the water out of the cup or the chalice, the lower triangle, the feminine, right in Harrow's face. <laughs> Very interesting because uh, the cup, the cup also, <clears throat> like in tarot and in esoteric symbolism, represents obviously water, but creativity and healing. And Stephen is the one who is created and the creative one of the two. And this moment with the chalice in the water is uh, the moment of final catharsis and healing. So there's a lot going on there. And I had, I thought it was funny that uh, as he's like drawing off his face in the background, you see, the umbrella too bad that he didn't have his umbrella handy for that deluge that just happened. Oh, that's uh, funny. An umbrella, umbra, the word that umbrella comes from means shadow. Oh in, yeah. Uh, in Latin. So, right. you know, this Steven is the shadow, the shadow's coming out. You see the umbrella back there. <laughs> All of that is interesting. Yes. So, uh, you know, the umbrella is, uh, also has a uh, Freudian component to it. Um, I don't have all my facts straight on this, but somebody once uh, has made a quote uh, uh, criticizing Freud, and they said something like, I, the last thing I want is a, a, a Venetian psychologist with an umbrella telling me how to run my life. So the umbrella has has been fused to Freud uh, in a very interesting way. So the fact and and uh, uh, Stephen just gave him a facial <laughs> in a Freudian sense. Stephen just gave him a facial, and he wishes he had his uh, Freudian protection on. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and uh, the facial is all over his glasses, and he has to take his glasses off back after getting the glass of water dumped on him, and earlier having a glass dagger threatening at him. So a lot of glass, glass, glass. Yes, on his glasses. Good point. Yes. There's a glass table. There's a glass pyramid. There's a lot there. Um, I think that was what I was grabbing this screenshot for to show that glass pyramid dagger upward pointing triangle. Glass table. Yeah. And I just thought this was funny. Steven says he's very Ned Flanders. His look <laughs> got a funny little mustache. <laughs> I, uh, what does Ned Flanders say? Oakley, Oakley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ned Flanders funny does have feel like a link to Freud in a sense, because uh, he's obviously very repressed. He's also very like, artificially joyful sort of construing himself as like super cheerful and uh, Freud uh, in German means joy and it's spelled very similar to the English word fraud. Interesting. Very interesting. Nice. We're getting close to the end guys. We've been just cruising. <laughs> um, and then part of this like repairing. Okay. Stephen, who was always depicted in black in this episode, is now in the white. And Mark and Stephen are kind of like merged in this moment. And white cylinder, it's a telephone to call mom. But, you know, this is like, to me, this is like the restoration of the 
missing Osirian phallus. The fault, which is his mother, has been revealed and healed, healing the fault. It's now recognized that it's mom's fault. And this is back to sort of the uh, the Gnostic, the pseudo-Gnosticism of it all, which leads to a lot of things like, you know, the demonization of the feminine, the Eve, Eve L, that life is evil, or that the fault. Okay, let me just read my notes. <laughs> so in this pseudo-Gnosticism idea, like it's the mother's fault that you were born into matter, matter, mater, mother, and being in matter drives you mad, madre, mad, you are damned, dame, damn, right? According to the pseudonastics of this like controller class, whatever we want to call them, you know? So the lesson here, abort your babies, I guess, is what they probably want you to know because you're obviously just cursing them to a life of damnation. If you, uh, you know, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like this is the, the real grooming of the, pseudo-gnosticism it's anti-life because life is eve l you know the spirit of god being trapped in matter as the pseudo-gnostics misconstruing allegory all day believe eve causes the fall with the apple the welsh word for apple a fall apple uh (laughs) it's anti-life you know the life of l l being god uh yod hey vav hey transliterates to L E V E or L Eve L Ive alive. I don't know. And even a leave. Yeah. Eve of L. Yeah. So leave like a lifting of a weight. Yeah. Yeah. And a leaf leaf is actually where the word life comes from. And leaf is another in some languages means love. You know, if you be leave something, you love it basically. Uh, And leaf is a bud. A bud is a Buddha. <laughs> We're all leaves on the tree of life. We're all buds off of it. You know, we're all clones of the divine spark, basically, that is infinitely replicating itself until it's repaired back into oneness in the trunk, the central column, the spine erected like this symbol. And uh, you know, I've said this in another, I think the mirror episode with homie Romy too, but like if you do the LR switch on Cronus, which Cronus being the, the chief artificer, main God L being originally the time Lord Cronus becomes clone us. And back to the symbolism of the bud and the leaf of the life of the tree of Buddha, a, the Greek word that clone derives from means twig. Boom. Yeah, and, uh, and he's about to be alleviated of the burden of the lie he's been living when he finds out that his mom isn't really alive anymore. Uh, one observation I made was that when Harrow picks up the phone, his secretary's name is Dylan, and so he's hailing back to uh, the opening scene again. And here again, we're the dealing with the mother and we're going back to the origin, the opening, opening scene of the whole series where Bob Dylan was playing in the background. And it is this dial tone that is the proof that his mother is dead. The fact that this tone, this bass note from the old phones, when you pick it up and it's a, uh, 
that's proof that his mother is no longer here. And uh, if you guys don't mind, I'll rip through the lyrics on that song because I read them today for the first time. Well, do that in a second, but uh-huh. I love what you just said about the dial tone because die al is the same as deus, deus, dios, dios is nice. die al. The to god tone. Al, the, du- the dual god. Yep. Dial. Never nice. thought about that before, but you know, where's the original dial, by the way? It is the clock dial. Right. The Kronos, the Time Lord, the Dial, right. Al, the yes. Sun Dial. And Damn, never thought in the time that. in the time that you came into this world, your mother had to dilate. She had to dilate ten concentric rings. Yes, this is the ten emanations. Like this old ancient, ancient mathematical practice of like making ten concentric circles and running the numbers inside and out of the ten rings. When you die, uh, you hear the flatline tone. That's right. That's right. Wow. So Tripping. here, I'll rip through. I'll rip through this song because the name of the song tells us uh, a whole lot. The name of the song is "Every Grain of Sand," and that's a E G O S. Egos, egos, and here we have a character with multiple egos, not just one. That S at the end is crucial. And we were just talking about hourglass. So every grain of sand, and we're talking about the hourglass just a second ago. uh, This is amazing. (laughs) In the time of my confession, in the hour of my deepest need, when the, tw- when the pool of tears beneath my feet floods every newborn seed, there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere, toiling in the danger and the morals of despair. Don't have the inclination to look back on any mistake. Like Cain, I now behold his chain of events that I must break. In the fury of the moment, I can see the master's hand in every leaf that trembles in every grain of sand. Oh, the flowers of indulgence and the weeds of yesteryear. Like criminals, they have choked the breath of conscience and good cheer. The sun beams down upon the steps of timing to light the way, to ease the pain of idleness and the memory of decay. Idleness, the memory of decay. Idle, idle is an anagram for dial. Boom! Nice. I gaze unto the doorway of temptation's angry flame, and every time I pass that way, I'll always hear my name. Then onward in my journey, I come to understand that every hair is numbered like every grain of sand. And that's uh that makes me think about what we're doing, like taking every little detail and turning it over and finding all the miracles under all the details. It's like Marty. Oh, is there more? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone from rags to riches in the sorrow of the night, in the violence of a summer's dream, in the chill of wintry light, in the bitter dance of loneliness, fading into space. 
in the broken mirror of innocence on each forgotten face. I hear the ancient footsteps like the motion of the sea. Sometimes I turn, there's someone there. Other times it's only me. I'm hanging in the balance of the reality of man. Like every sparrow falling, like every grain of sand. Sparrow is the Latin word for hope also. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It, it's Damn. it's kind of gratifying to have waited this long to read the lyrics of the opening scene. You know, it mm, seems to make sense that we should have waited till now to. Well, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have made the sense it makes now. Right. Right. It fits so well. It fits so well. So yeah. we we're at the point where he's he is he arguing with himself yet? Where he's making the decision? Are they in the hallway? We've already, yeah, we've passed that we've point. We've passed that point? Because that's the, that's the real point of this. That's the, the climax, I think, of the episode, is where he's, he's arguing with himself. He's, he's like, you're the one who got the, the cushy life that you had everything handed to you. You, were, you had a normal, not untraumatized, Life and he nurtured the mother side, the left, the communist. Yeah, he created him to be to get the easy life, but then he's realizing it's all fake, and he himself is is kind of you can kind of see him letting it go. My mom's dead. When he hands the phone back to him, he's he's accepting. There's this acceptance like washing over him, where it's like. Oh shit, my life's a lie, you know? And handing the phone back. He's integrating. He's integrating, exactly. And that's that's what this whole thing is about. You accept the truth and you integrate or you get stuck. Or you yep. and trauma, unaddressed trauma in the body will turn into disease every time. If you want to heal yourself, you you find that trauma and you deal with it. You got to deal and it sucks, but this is what the whole fucking union thing is about. You know, the whole, what, what we've pop psychology out is uh, of shadow work is this kind of thing. This is, this is the real stuff when, when somebody on the Instagram is saying, Oh, I'm, I'm dealing with my demons or whatever. And, and it's nice. It's, it, it's a good meme to remind us to To do those things, to not ignore those darker sides of ourselves. But the point is, when you're there, you better examine them, and you better come out the other side a, a different person. Or the whole point was mute. Like you, you've lost the whole point unless you've actually transmogrified yourself and transmuted and burnt out, and come out the other other end. That like. Gabe and I were talking about the, the, uh, the white ash. You've burned it out and you've transmuted yourself into the, the pure carbon. Back to the ego states thing I brought up a long time ago now. Here we are at 3.30 in the stream. Uh, when you integrate an ego state which is like a separated version of yourself that was who you were at the point of trauma that includes things about yourself, both positive and negative that you have forgotten and put away and cut yourself off from. 
this is like the whole shamanic soul retrieval thing. When you integrate that ego state, you also integrate the skills, aptitudes, enthusiasm, and care about whatever that version of you at that time period cared about and, you know, had aptitude towards. So it's fascinating because once after this integration, when they're on the boat and they get into the fight with the zombies, which we'll get to in a second, uh, Stephen realizes that he can fight the way Mark can fight. Integration. See, he has all the he has all the abilities and aptitudes of his other self that was previously cut off from him. So they really are integrated at that point, which is pretty cool. But I wanted to point out from that every grain of sand, every hair numbered. And how you were saying, like, we turn over all these stones and we keep finding logos there everywhere we look. <laughs> that is what, that is the value of the syncretism to me. Uh, you know, I I hear I hear you when people like my good friend Dylan say that the yes and doesn't work for him. And I res- like I value his work because he's getting at like this is what they meant in their system. But I think this is a living logos. And once the seed is planted, the uh, the net grows out wider and bigger than the intentions and the original programming of whoever maybe planted the seeds. I think that's just how it is. And, totally. and I love the I love his work, but I think the yes and works. <laughs> and as, and it's not a yes and like making claims. It's just like this makes me think of this, and this led me to think of this. And now we're able to talk about all of these deep truths in many different myriad ways. But it, this all reminds me of Marty Leeds's Sunday service this morning, the Gnostic Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. Marty Leeds, the man, coming on Vibrant soon. And, uh, you know, I like his version of Gnosticism because it's about get, like uncovering every stone and look, looking at the number of every grain of sand and finding everything encoding nature and nature's cycles and nature's sacred numbers and patterns, the patter in the matter. I love that about Marty. And today his stream was uh, titled a Gnostic walks into a bar <laughs> and he goes through and talks about all the things in a bar like the dartboard and the billiards and all in the, the bar stool and all kinds of things and shows how the uh, sacred arithmetic and geometry is replete through everything you look at in the whole bar. And he didn't even mention that bar is a seed or a sun <laughs> and then also a name for Kronos or L or Saturn, but he's totally right about that. So Tangents aside, because we're almost to the wrap up. Three hours, 33 minutes. We're Perfect. going so great here, man. Uh, after, there is actually one more flashback. I keep saying final flashback, but this whole episode is flashbacks. We see the day of the Shiva where Mark shows up and doesn't go in and just sees his dad through the window. And I noticed this water sun. <laughs> Water, sun, and uh, it's a liquor store. But, you know, we're talking about the memories of the sun, the water. The... Anyway, another word. So, mem or is another word for water, sun. Just is. We're talking about memories. We're talking about water, sun. Yep. But or being S-U-N instead of S-O-N. And it's fascinating that here he's getting wasted. And now we see Mark, who has been depicted in white up to this point, now depicted in black. Just like Stephen, who was in black, is in white in the scene right before this. So this is the other, this is sort of the, uh, 
you know, Stephen was spiraling up. Mark is kind of spiraling down. You know, they're meeting in the middle. But this alcohol spirits moment, um, this moment of drinking, I guess I didn't get screenshots of the point, but he drinks, he gets really wasted. And then all of a sudden switches to being Steven. So this is like letting you know how when you're blackout drunk, another spirit can come in and drive the car. See, he's next to a car. Nice. He's, yeah. Notice yep. the windows, the windows in the, in the background on the upper left of him, the green and yellow are on top and red and black are on bottom. And a lot of the windows are blacked out. And he's getting blacked out. This window, these windows are blacked out. Yeah. Uh, they're like mostly blacked out windows. Interesting. Nice catch. Then they have this moment of integration. Stephen tells Mark, it isn't your fault. Seems like I was muted there. I don't know how long I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> was it a long time? Just a second. Just a second. Just a okay, second. tight. Uh, yeah, go this, ahead. This is uh, the unmaking of the opening line. This is reversing that maternal trauma from the very beginning. This is all your fault. And now he's finally telling himself, it wasn't your fault. He's, this is self-forgiveness. Exactly. That's what integration really is. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So yeah. I like this aspect of the show, actually. You know, this is there's things to like about this show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I didn't I, I guess I forgot it until now. But one thing about that opening line, this is all your fault. It makes me think of, uh, you know, part of uh, uh, theosophy uh, and, you know, Blavatsky's uh, perspective is it's, it has a false premise, uh, I think, I believe. And that is uh, she believes that people choose their, their lot in life and that, um, that we chose to be here. We made some spiritual contract before we got here. And therefore, you should just accept what you have and not try to, you know, it's almost like a, a defeatist uh, spiritual mentality. Um, and I see it weaponized and harnessed and used to uh, justify a caste system uh, all cross-culturally. Um, and I think that's a, just a very important thing to keep, uh, to keep in mind. You know, uh, we probably did have some sort of soul contract when we came here, uh, but you can't, you can't blame your situations now on what happened back then. Uh, and it definitely should not be used to justify having such a classist, you know, disparity of income in all over, all across the world. Because you guys keep holding it down. I drank too much, Mim. I mean, water. <laughs> and we've been here four hours. I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I could make it, and I probably could, but I would rather be comfortable for the, the cruise out. For sure, for sure. But yeah, uh, and Theosophy is the official, it's an official uh, religion of the, um, of the United Nations. You know, they've got that Lucius Trust where they're Lucian us. Trust me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God, the, the, the more, more rocks we uh, pick up, the more we find. 
like the more we keep digging at this stuff, the more we keep learn. I mean, Lord, we're teaching each other, but like, this is like an exponential growth in the last year or whatever, however long it's been that we've been doing this stuff. It's, which is yielding some amazing things like Gabe, you're next, by the way, these, these will be yours next buddy. Um, but the more I give these away, the more I find them. This is the, this is the weird thing that, um, the more that I, the less I search these out, the more they come to me. Like I, it's this weird thing of flow exercise in flow where we where we give things away but the more more we give away the more it comes back you know so i'm able to give it away so yeah i've my wife found 61 of these under a a bush yesterday like flipped me out bro wow look at that's a ton oh god i can't even lift it right here oh my gosh I leave for one minute and Gordy's already whipping his balls out. <laughs> That's what I do. That's awesome, Gordy. That's super cool. I love yeah, that. You next, clip. buddy. Okay, all right. I love the clip of you summoning the lightning. That was freaking awesome. That's so awesome. I love that it's. I guess I missed that. It's fucking magic and shit up in here. Your name is actually magic. Thordy, or what? <laughs> Dude, it, yeah. Authority. <laughs> He's got the That's authority it. to bring that down was, the lightning. That were these, these particular ones, and and you could feel them. You can feel, you know, they'll they'll do what they want. And once you ask them a question, like at that moment, they went together, and it's crazy. So right, I want gonna... as many of you you people to mess with them as possible so you can tell me what your freaky experience is with it because Cheney's got them now and um a, a bunch of us in the in the groups are are messing with these and I want as many of you guys to have them as possible because we're going to be doing cool stuff. I'm getting us way off. I'm sorry. I was filling time. It's all good. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to go hit the resh. <laughs> yeah we just apparently needed quite a little break should have maybe taken an intermission but this has been so good so good and yeah i use your shaman balls that you sent me in tuning sessions <laughs> do you oh, want yeah. to know where how i use them <laughs> in the testicles yes yeah like i, I, I build imagine. a bo- i build a body out of crystals and i mean it doesn't matter females have gonads too right, right. they're just internal so I build like I use selenite for the main trunk of the body and the legs and the arms, but I also have different crystals for each chakra center and candles. And then like right under the root crystal and candle, I put the masculine and feminine balls right there. <laughs> I don't know. seems like a good way to use it. It works. It totally works. I, I know uh, uh, Lindsay uses them too. I'm not sure exactly how, but she used them in her, her ceremony too. So I am, wanting as many people as possible to integrate whatever whatever you want to call it magic nature getting grounding that's the big thing about these is <clears throat> that i felt is they're a grounding tool and an intuition tool and it just 
I'm learning from it as you guys are, are learning from it. So anyway, testies. <laughs> Let's bring it home, guys. Yeah. We're Not ready. far now. We're almost there. And thank you, Jen sent me the uh, Gordy Lightning clip. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Summon in the thunder. So, okay, on the on the boat, the scales never balanced, even though they integrated with each other. So that is foreshadowing that there's still something going on unbalanced in there, which would be the uh, Jake character, I assume, it has not been found. There's still some hidden shadow in the darkness. And so the zombies from the duet come to drag away Mark and Steven and they get into a fight. Uh, just kind of an action scene. Steven realizes that he has all of Mark's fighting skills. And so he, uh, fights for Mark and ends up sacrificing himself and falling off the boat into the duet, turning into a pillar of salt. Any commentary before we jump to the final scene here? He sacrifices the, the lie for the truth. Yeah. That's uh, true. And it's also like, you know, he accepts that his mother is dead and Stephen is the identity that's attached to the mother and the feminine side. And so, you know, that side of him bites the dust metaphorically. He also he becomes, he becomes a graven image. Hmm. And theoretically, if he is a replacement for his brother who died at an early age, he uh here we can kind of see that maybe Stephen was like Roe Roe all along, that maybe Stephen was the placenta all along. Um just some thoughts on the fact that he becomes this graven image. Much like Lot's wife, who by the way never had a name. <laughs> She's always remembered as Lot's wife. She becomes a statue. So there is that aspect that he's embodying the lost brother who gets sacrificed. So then he scales balance and Mark all of a sudden finds himself. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of Gordy's balls over here. (laughs) Mark finds himself in the uh, field of reeds, which is the Egyptian like Elysium, you know, final destination of balanced and healthy souls, like a heaven realm. And, you know, we've talked about the field of reeds in previous conversations. Reed is an interesting word because you read a book, uh, Bacchus being the Liber Pater, the free father, Liber is a book. Reed is also, uh, papyrus reeds are what books are written on in Egyptian. The reed, hollowed out reed, is what the castrated priesthood used as a replacement phallus in a very Osirian sense. But what I found interesting, something that I didn't know, is that the Egyptian word for the field of reeds is aaru. Aaru. Sounds a lot like aura. Sounds like or. It's got like the R in it of both the words river, ari, and lion, which is ari. And this is a golden field. Mark is, you know, the lion <laughs> symbolically. Gold or AU. All of that is there. And you know, that's uh that's kind of the conclusion moment here. 
Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. So I, I sent you a quick graphic uh, that corresponds with this, uh, where, you know, we kind of see that the one brother just ended up getting the shit into the stick, lost, lost in the darkness there. And I guess Stephen gets lost. So I'm just comparing this uh, Elysium, Elysium to the title of this episode is Asylum. Nice. And they are. They're phonetic uh, anagrams for each other. So the uh, Stephen becomes a mineral. He becomes a pillar of salt. And Mark gets elevated. He gets these light, fluffy, uh, the wheat, the field of grain with the wheat. So in a very interesting way, Mark becomes the feather. Like you said, the Mark, the uh, the marked one, the scribe. And Stephen becomes the uh, the weighed down, earthly mundane one dropped dropped down so there's the this is the i am the uh what is it i am the light and the way the light and the way one is light and one weighs down and way wheat gabe where did you get that fe- the picture of that feather oh it's just off of my emojis it's in the in the animal. Oh wow, that looks just like the real thing. Holy cow, Gordon, that put the balls, owl. put the balls in the other hand. <laughs> see, see how I work out. I move literally the scales. You're the light in the way, Gordy. <laughs> there we go. There we That's are. great. You know, with the R L switch, Gordy is an anagram for godly. Awesome. <laughs> And awesome. orgy. So, oh, you had to go and freeze during the uh, weighing, oh, no. uh, weighing ceremony. <laughs> so they play a really beautiful song uh, when the credits roll. It's a really beautiful song. It got stuck in my head for like two days. I was humming it to myself. Uh, Somewhere Over the Sun is a song. Uh, oh, no. Sorry. I misspoke. Masaya del Sol. Yes, Mas Ayar de Sol, which means somewhere over the sun. And it's a quick one. I'll just rip through the lyrics real, real quick in in English. It's sung in Spanish. It's written by uh, Juan Sebastian. And the lyrics are, above all things, I still have the strength to shout out that I love you. Above all things, because I love you. Above all things that have torn your soul up and makes me complain or regret. There's something clear or evident that I want the world to confirm it, that I love you. Somewhere over the sun and far away from my mistakes, I hope that no doubt could remain for them about that you are the greatest of all my loves. Uh, Above all things, even if you scatter the doubt in yourself, and this could sadden me, I dare to ensure you that our castle is not of sand. I love you for sure, above all things. A truth emerges, a truth that sets me free. And this truth is sincere, real. Once you are packing up, keep it in your bag. 
The truth is that I love you. Somewhere over the sun, as far away from my mistakes, I hope that no doubt could remain for them about that you are the greatest of all my loves. Somewhere above the sun and far away from my mistakes, I hope that no doubt could remain for them about that you are the greatest of all my loves, the biggest and greatest, the greatest of all my loves. Interesting. No doubt. Doubt is the same as double. To be of two minds. D-O-U-B. That's awesome. I love that. And the uh, lines that I, the translation that I read was a little bit different because it said beyond the sun, it was called. Um, But that line, you're right. Like the two lines, a, a truth emerges that sets us free. And this one says, and it is the net. Since you are packing, take it in your suitcase, the truth. Placenta. Big time. And then, that was a, this is the whole, uh, that scene I just saw in my head when they were, when he was integrating, you could tell that that's what was happening. The, um, the whole integration that's happening, I'm sure globally, I hope globally, you know, people rejecting their cushy, um, idea of the simulacrum the the they're rejecting the idea of their simulation and accepting their own truth the truth that maybe you gotta and you know you chose a mistake but it's this is part of life's process admitting our wrongs and moving forgiving ourselves and moving forward from it that's what's up, Gordy. That's what's up. Uh, so I just, that, uh, the fact that the artist who wrote the song, his name is Juan Sebastian, that hit a major chord in the, a, a very nefarious chord, because I do believe that, um, uh, that the Jesuits are what could be considered accelerationists. They want the revelation uh, the end times, the apocalypse, they want the prophecy to come true. They're, you know, zealots. Uh, so we got the Juan on his name. And we got the Sebastian. And so I did a little printout. I shot it to you, or Chance. It's in the telly. This is uh, St. Sebastian, who has very interesting echoes of Sabbatai Zeti. And that is the fact, uh, basically, that St. Sebastian was martyred by archery and he was bullheaded he did not he did not uh you know turn or change his uh his faith uh even up to his last moment so he was shot with arrows and sabbatai was also uh put in front of a group of archers and threatened if he did not convert and the only difference is that uh, Sabbatai Zeti did convert. He became a, a converted to Islam at the last moment. He put on the turban, as they say. Um, and that's the myth. But I just think that it's quite profound that they echo each other. Sebastian, Sabbatai, they were both uh, martyred. They both had the archery component. Uh, so I just thought I would throw that out there because we got the Juan the Baptist and we got the Sebastian. A lot of martyrdom going on. Um, 
And uh, Mark is about to, he's shown the gates. This is the, the exit scene. And when we pick up on the next one, he has a bit of a conversion, a change of heart. So that's just something to end on. That, uh, and I do, I've seen a lot of uh, Sabbatean themes uh, throughout. So I thought I would just highlight the Sebastian and Sabbatizetti there. Because I think they're uh, they're kind of woven in one way or the other. That's really good. And the gates, we didn't even grab a screenshot of that. We had eighty plus, <laughs> but the gates of Osiris that they show the exit to the duet. Uh, you know, back to the Janus of it all. He's going through the gates to the new year, if you will, being reborn as a resurrecting solar character. Right. So there it is. And if you think about it, Mark is like, he, uh, I, I think he knows that he would not be happy in uh, Elysian Fields. You know, <laughs> I don't think it's true to his nature. He, it's almost like he got, he got Stephen's reward and Stephen got his reward. So he, he probably feels that that's not how it should have gone. You know, he, he's probably wishing to uh, switch places. So there's that. The grass is always greener on the other side of the duet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Man, well, James, I think we should wrap this baby up. Yeah, four hours, okay. guys. That's a record. It is. It, was, it didn't feel as hard to do as some of the other ones. Maybe my energy was just better, but I really enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, there were so many things that came to mind in the flow of the process and more than just me watching it and taking notes. So reflecting, reflecting with you guys is very resurrecting to my enthusiasm. Appreciate you both and everybody in the chat. Love y'all. This has been fantastic. If you guys tuned in late, I would recommend going through the whole series. If you are interested in decoding moon Knight, because we turned a TV series that's like, I don't know, less than six hours into so far 20 hours of talking about it. <laughs> it's a lot of bang for your zero dollars. When you do two hours on the first five minutes, you know, it's pretty, the rest of it kind of like <laughs> flows. But we'll see about when the next one is. Hopefully just within a couple of weeks, I'll, you know, I'll try to give a heads up, but just if you were going to be here for it and you want to make sure you've seen Moon Knight episode six, then go ahead and do so. But I'd like to hope that maybe very next week we can get into it. That'd be pretty awesome. Week or two yeah. from now, most likely. Cool. That sounds good. All right. Going to cue the music. Everybody check out Slick Dissident on YouTube. Gordy Two Shoes on YouTube. The Telegram channels that both of these gentlemen have. You know, if you are looking for links to that, just check the show notes to this and join the Interverse Telegram channel. and. Ask away and find who you want to ha- hang out with and chat with. Hopefully all of us. <laughs> and yeah, the people who were here from the beginning, big love, Stacy, Cozy, Jen, Nicholas, anybody I missed that was here from the very beginning. Thanks for taking this ride through the magical mystery tour of the Moon Knight duet. Amazing stuff. All right. Much love, Thank everybody. You, Thank you. Night, night. <laughs>